0: Um, So, we talked about this during our On Deck at Dusk episode, but we Mm -hmm. didn't really talk about it for our regular everyday peeps. Happy New Year! Oh yeah, Happy New Year! And Mm -hmm. welcome to episode 36. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, We did talk about our resolutions, but maybe we should say, like, for me, my personal resolution is a health goal of moving keeping my butt off this chair specifically Uh, (laughs) yeah um and trying to just have less chins than i have recently had how many chins do you have i I can't really see from here but maybe like two when you do that we have two but this one's just a really big and that's the one we're trying to get out (laughs) see it's just always there when I'm mm-hmm. just chilling. So that's the one we're trying to kick out of town. Mm-hmm. So that. And I want to. Is it just the something. way you're holding your head, though? Like, is it. I think there's a whole lot of posture stuff that goes yeah. along with it. But I do have a mom belly that I'm trying to get rid of also. So those are kind of one in the same goal. Um, yeah. My face chin and my body chin. <laughs> Gotta go. Your body chin. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, all right. So that's what you wanted. So that's your goal. By the end of the year, you want your chins to be gone. Yeah. yeah you can do it. We'll see. I'm already three days into my workout program. And oh, yeah. my goal is, you know how like, so my watch has this thing that measures your calories, steps and all that stuff. Well, mm-hmm. I want to have at least 500 calories burned every day. Like like active calories burned, not like the regular ones from just like moving around. <clears throat> oh, like extra calories burned. Yeah. So okay. I'm three for three days for that. I know it's the fifth, but I started on Tuesday because that's when like the work week started for kids going to school and stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. two days of rest. <laughs> yes. So now I'm three for three with my workouts and my calorie goals. Good job. You can do it. <clears throat> we'll see. I believe in you. Have you changed your diet? I think you talked about that, didn't you? Um, I've been drinking. See this gigantic thing? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's forty ounces, and I have to have four of them a day of water. Wow! And I've been pretty good about doing at least three. So I'm just trying I'll to count. Do you count one like as an overnight one? So that I could do one of those, like, you know, just come um, on your nightstand. And I don't drink a lot. Night. Like I do drink a lot at night, but not a full one of these. So I really only count the ones during the day. I see. But I at least drink Are you one. Are all the time? Yes. And I'm like, this is what pee is supposed to look like. <laughs> you know, it's not like. <laughs> it runs clear. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I need water. Yeah. Because that fills me up. The water fills me up more. So I don't eat as much. Well, and don't so. they say that like if you're craving something, they say to drink some water. And that's supposed to like help you not crave it anymore. Yeah. It's like either, either drinking water or chugging water and um, or having gum. But yeah, so we'll see how that goes. What are your goals, yeah. Katie? My goal is to grow something edible. like, yeah, I'm with a you. vegetable or a fruit or or a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> what would you grow? Like vegetable or fruit wise? Mm. I'm thinking zucchini. Oh that's a good idea. You can do so much with zucchini and it's zucchini, so good. And I really like spaghetti squash, but I don't know how, like, if that is a special thing. But I know zucchini is pretty easy
1: from what you people have told me.
0: I've never had spaghetti squash. Fun fact. What? I think you would mm-hmm. like it. I, I really just think saw a recipe on TikTok, like, yesterday about it, too. It's really easy, too. You cut That's it I in heard. half, you put it on a baking sheet or a cookie sheet. Yeah, put it in the oven. Well, I put a bunch of butter and oil and salt and stuff. Do you on cook it. it in half hamburger way or hot dog way? Like if this hot is your way. zucchini, do you cut it this way? Yes. I see. Yeah, because you want the layers to be thin. So they're like cook. Well, the, the TikTok I saw, they said to cut it in like slices. I'm like you, but you could. And well yeah, and they said they're like, you want it to be thin? And I was like, okay. So I was wondering if you like how you cut it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All I've ever done is I cut it hot dog way and then I put a bunch of butter on it and I put it in the oven and then it bakes for like 20 minutes and I take it out and then you just like take a fork and you scratch it all out. Yeah. That seems so easy. You can put like, you know how we used to do like the angel hair pasta with just like mazithra cheese and stuff Mm. like that. You could do that. so hard to find. I, I haven't done it since I've had it with mom, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we've done like Parmesan cheese or mm. whatever. So, or yeah, the Parmesan cheese, or we make it into spaghetti. Oh, okay. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. I want to try it. You should try. Yeah. Okay. So that's maybe what I'll do is like zucchinis and squashes and stuff. Maybe pumpkins for the kids. Oh, pumpkins would be fun. I grew pumpkins when I lived in West Jordan. Oh, you did! It was really easy. Uh huh. I just planted them in the front, like garden bed, and it grew a ton because it just had all the sunlight in the world. I got see, watered that's every other day. My problem is we don't have a bunch of sunlight. Hmm. I'll have to. I'll have to observe. Yeah. Where my light is coming from and see if because I think against my house in the backyard I might be able to do something. I was just gonna say, like up against your it. house. You Maybe know. do, like, oh you should get some, like, trellises and have something, like, vine. Yeah. Which I don't... I know that pumpkins do vine, but you'd have to, like, figure out a good way for the pumpkins to be... Like, supported. supported. Yeah. Yeah. Put them in the broth. I've also seen... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I've also seen, um like, tomatoes done that way. Hmm. Well... Mm-hmm. I'll have, to, I'll have to research some things. For the podcast, though, I think we should come up with some goals for the podcast. Oh, that's a great idea. What's a goal? What's something that we want? What's a milestone? I want to do one overnight trip this year for an pop- episode. I don't hmm. know. Anyways. Um, anything else? Oh, oh. Um, we need to, I have my ducks in a row this time, um, for our Patreon, one of our benefits of our highest Patreon tier, um, we do small business shout outs for those who do have a small business and our friend Carrie, um, has a small business called Pearl Chic Carrie, um, open oysters live to reveal beautiful pearls that can be mounted on jewelry, Um, and on our website, we have a small business page that any businesses that we shout out, you can go to that page, um, and follow their social media, check them out. We are hoping to have more as we get more Patreon in our top tier and you can follow their links to their websites or their Facebook groups or whatever. Yeah. So thanks Carrie for supporting us on Patreon. Um, Go give her a follow. Yeah, Yeah. definitely follow her and see what she has, especially if you're into like making jewelry or if you're Mm -hmm. just learning. Like I've seen videos of people taking pearls and like doing like the wire wrap and stuff. Mm -hmm. So And then I saw what she was selling and I'm sure that that I think it's the same thing. But yeah. Um, Definitely check it out if you're looking into that kind of business. And I I did see that she did an Instagram live the other day. So also follow her and check those out. Yeah, we want to support those who support us. So definitely check her out, give her a follow. Um, And if you have a small business you want to shout out, we have that benefit as our top tier Patreon but also, hey, if you want to pay us to do ads, that's cool too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It gives a script though, because uh, we don't know. What we getting. don't. We don't do well without a script. <laughs> well, do we even do well with a script? <laughs> Look mm, at our no. anchor. Our anchor right. our ad is a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. It it's a script. Hilarious, fun mess, but still a mess. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, right. do we have any other business to attend to? Um, you know what? I have a bone to pick with you. (laughs) Uh Oh, I keep forgetting, but like, damn it, I'm going to tell you. Uh Uh-oh. You told me, I can't remember when we talked about it on the pod, whether it's on Deck a Desk or a regular episode, and you told me in private, too, that I pronounced Ben Lamond incorrectly. (laughs) Here's something, though. Okay. I believed you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm a dumbass. Then I don't remember what happened, but somehow I like stumbled upon that or like maybe my old notes. I don't remember, but it's spelled L-O-M-M-O-N-D. So why would it be lemon? Tell me that. Tell me. I don't know. Someone should we call Amanda? (laughs) To say hey, quick trivia question, but like we only have 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let's see if she answers. Can you I hear? call bullshit? Yeah. Oh, she's on the phone with her boyfriend. She knows probably. when she's being ambushed. <laughs> she's gonna call back at the worst time too. I know. You're gonna be like deep into your story, and then all of a sudden it's gonna be like, What? How do you pronounce Ben Lamond? <laughs> she's like I'm on the phone. What's up? I'm like, trivia question. We were recording an episode, and I need to know information. She's like, you can text it. Okay, she's calling me. Hold on. Hey, Ben Lomond? Yep. Uh, not
1: Lamond. No. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> whenever she said it, I freaking died. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> so, Ben Lomond. <laughs> is
0: it Lomond? No, is that... um. Is that facts? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, like that's the name of the mountain. Like it's Ben Lomond Mountain. Like that. There's Ben Lomond High School. There's Ben Lomond Elementary. There's <laughs> a Ben Lomond Hotel. Like the <laughs> hotel's not the only thing called Ben Lomond. The mountain <laughs> in which <laughs> everyone lives on, in View in North Ogden,
0: uh-huh. which I think
1: is also based off the mountain that they did for the Paramount
0: movie. You know, Paramount's
1: Mountain yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's based off Ben Lomond.
0: Okay. So, no, I did
1: not make it
0: up. That's what it's called. Okay. Just making sure.
1: We believe you. It's
0: real. Life. Okay. Listen, my grass is greener. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Now that you have picked your bone and you lost, do we have any other matters of business?
1: no (laughs) okay
0: (laughs) Okay. so i'm gonna tell you a story and this story is the worst um i don't know they keep getting not worse but just equally bad but this one's this one's i don't know if people are gonna want to listen to my so if you choose let me do a trigger warning that this story includes the murder of children so if that is something you cannot listen to or don't want to listen to skip to katie's story
1: okay Okay. bye
0: (laughs) see ya except you can't because you're here (sighs) for the whole thing okay so have you ever heard of the case? castanis castanis family no okay the castanis family lived in west jordan utah um and they were just a typical urban family uh sam was the father 43 years old margaret was the mother at 49 years old they had a daughter named melissa that was 11 a son named clinton who was nine and a- another daughter named christine who is six okay okay So Margaret was a stay-at-home mom and had dreams of becoming author of a children's book. She was an outgoing woman and welcomed families into the neighborhood. Uh, She was a self-taught pianist and guitarist. Okay, so she's just Mm -hmm. kind of a fun-loving lady and she's one of those relief societies (laughs) like people that like need to welcome everybody with like uh, treats or something when they move in.
2: Right. And then
0: Sam, the father, worked at the South Salt Lake County. Um, he was in the public works department where he drove a heavy equipment truck. He was, like, um, kind of part of the highway patrol group that, like, he had a heavy equipment that he did for the roads and stuff. And he was more of a reserved guy, and but he worked really hard for his family, um the castanis kids were all well behaved melissa played the accordion accordion clinton wanted to be a heavy equipment operator like his dad and christy um who was six years old had bouncy curly hair and was just a very curious little girl Mm -hmm. um but on the morning of november 17th 1991 Sam Castanis was drinking coffee and working on a project in his detached garage in the backyard. Then he walked into his home and found the most gut-wrenching scene a father could see. He first saw Clinton, nine years old, lying in a pool of blood on the bathroom floor. Oh my gosh. In the 911 call, Sam told the operator that Clinton was bleeding really bad. He thought he was bleeding from his mouth, but then saw he had fingers cut off. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Once the, the police arrived, Clinton had succumbed to his injuries. He not only had missing fingers, but also had multiple stab wounds to his chest. Um, the police began their investigation immediately and found a trail of blood that led to the basement, where the police found Margaret, Melissa, and Christine stabbed to death. Yeah. Oh, my um, so Sam's three children and his wife had been murdered, not only with wounds from a knife, but also what looked like what looked to be wounds from a hammer. <laughs> this is just wow. the worst. So it sounds um, like hmm. it,
1: it was just filled
0: with hate and rage. hate. Something like it was just so like. Or anger. Yeah. Oh, um, immediately, obviously, Sam was at the top of the suspect list. Uh, he had blood on his jeans, and there were no signs of forced entry into the home. So authorities took Sam into custody. <clears throat> Did he, ins- he
1: have all of their blood on their jeans or
0: just the nine-year-old's blood? Um, from you know? the information I have, he had blood on his jeans that they were all the same blood type. So all the four victims had the same blood type. And mm-hmm. that blood type was on his genes. I don't I know where the DNA science was at the time or what the West Jordan Police Department, like what they could have done more scientifically mm-hmm. to find out exactly whose blood it was, but it was the same blood type. I see. <clears throat> so um, Sam insisted that he was innocent. He swore that he wouldn't have killed his family. Um, crime scene and fores- forensic investigators found Margaret lying next to her girls with multiple stab wounds to her chest and found what appeared to be defensive wounds to her hands. There were like her fingers were all cut up. So like if she was being stabbed, like she was trying to stop them, you know, so her hands were be that's so bad. But there's going to be twists in this story. So just like just tell me your thoughts as we go. But okay. keep in mind. That it might not end as you think it will. So I'm, I'm giving you the information as the investigation gets it, if that makes sense. I see as yeah. it unfolds. <clears throat> so she had defensive wounds, or what seemed to be defensive wounds to her hands. Okay. Yeah. After four days in jail, authorities didn't seem to have enough to- evidence to charge Sam with the murders, so they had to let him ha- let him go. I keep burping. Sorry. Hold on. Huh? Can I say something? Yeah. I'm speculating about why this nine-year-old had his fingers chopped off. And I'm hearing now that the mom had wounds on her hands. So that makes me think that maybe the nine-year-old was first because the knife was the sharpest at that time. And maybe like he was doing that, but as he was defending himself, his fingers were being cut off. That's possible. The speculation has grounds, but okay. I'll tell you, we don't know who went first, Oh! but we know who went last. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. like a riddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a horrible, horrible <clears throat> riddle. I'm making it sound more like cryptic than it is. It's like all the information is going to come real quick and then you're going to see where I'm going. Okay. And it is cryptic to me because I have no idea what's about to happen. Right. I just know that there's, like, a horrible crime scene. Yeah, so. And we kay. don't know who went first, but we know who went last. It's like, yeah. what happened? And I'm curious to see what you think at the end. So let me know what your thoughts mm-hmm. are. Um. So they had to let him go, right, after four days. They didn't have enough. Um. All they have is circumstantial stuff, right? Like, and the whole family is dead, right? Yes, all, everyone's gone. So as he walked out of the jail, reporters were waiting for him at the steps, right? And waiting to ask him questions. And he had no money on him and he didn't even have a ride. Like he didn't have anything. So he asked one of the reporters and said, hey, can I have some change for one of the pay phones um, so I can give my sister or get my sister here to give me a ride? And they said, sure. And probably... So that they have the deal that they could ask him questions, right? Like, right. if if Insider we give scoop. you change, yeah. So, um, they they gave him some change and they bought him some coffee. And while he waited for his sister to pick him up, um, he told reporters, "quote I don't like being in a place like that jail, and I don't want to be in there ever again." So, <clears throat> the funeral for Margaret Clinton, Melissa, and Christine was held at the church. <laughs> The Castanis family attended, um, I think is a local LDS church, uh, where Sam was surrounded and supported by family and friends. Even Margaret's family felt that he was innocent. They were like, there's no way. There's not a chance that the Sam that we know would do that to his family. And they stuck by him, (laughs) which is surprising because usually you expect if he's a suspect, the victim's family, like, you know what I mean? If they're married, they're usually like, no, he must have done it. Just like... And as far as we know, he was the only one there. Right. So
1: So the fact that... Who
0: else did it then? You know, like, where's the motive? Where's the you know, probable cause? All that good stuff. Right. So, but yeah, so her family, um, uh, Margaret's family, um, 100% is is behind sam shortly after the funeral sam had to return to work he seems like the guy that's just like i gotta do what i gotta do type of thing Mm -hmm. but a lot of people saw it as you're not grieving enough like you're not sad enough as a father who lost his entire family uh you know it's a hard thing just to think about because it's like everybody is so different yeah. yeah. Everybody is so different. A lot of people viewed this as like he needs to be more of a mess. So there's something off with him. So he returned to work and he ended up moving in with his sister because obviously he wouldn't want to go home, but it's also still being investigated. Investigators still had Sam at the top of his uh the top of their suspect list, but they're still unsure of how it fit. Um, because the information they're finding isn't quite, like, getting him. Like, it's just not okay. quite there. From from where they're at, they're seeing, like, okay, the only thing that makes sense is the dad did it, because he's the only one left alive. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is the only thing that makes sense. Because what was weird, they said, was that he even assisted in the rescue of his family. So, like, he called 911. He was doing CPR on his child. Like, he was trying to, like, Help! And then when they found, the like, his daughters and wife downstairs, he, like, ran down there and he's, like, trying. So, he wasn't, they're, like, he wasn't acting like he did it. Yeah. But it only makes sense that he did it. Gosh, it's got to be so hard. Like, or it had to have been so (laughs) hard back before, like, the science that we have now and technology that we have now. Because... Man, like, if you don't, if you can't be certain of who was there and at what time, it could be anybody. It could be the neighbor, but, like, how could you prove it? So, on June 16th, 1992, Sam was arrested and officially charged with four counts of aggravated murder after seven months after the, the... murders took place and then he was in jail for another year so june 14th is when his trial began sam hired attorney ron yengich um as his defense attorney and kent morgan with the prosecution um, for the state of utah argued so at the trial right the prosecution Mm -hmm. argued there was no evidence that any of the victims wounds were self-inflicted the reason they brought that up is because in the interviews and over the last couple of years after you know or i guess it's a year and a half um after the murders happened sam insisted he didn't do it and said margaret murdered the children and then stabbed herself Oh my and gosh. and they're like the prosecution is saying no That didn't happen. They explained that the wounds on Margaret's hands were likely self-defense wounds to fight off her attacker. They also said that uh, they believe Mm. Margaret's body, as well as the murder weapons, were moved to look like Margaret had used them. And they think the problem is, is that they do a lot of we believe and we think type of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but they think that the weapons were wiped down to not have Sam's fingerprints on them because they had margaret's fingerprints on them <clears throat> oh, um so the like multiple murder weapons yeah so they had a knife that mm-hmm. the stabbing happened and then remember the other piece was a hammer oh a hammer that's right, right. gosh sorry right. so Ugh. so they were kind of like next to margaret found next to margaret and prosecution believes that her body, and the weapons were, were moved to look like she had them. Um, I see. <clears throat> like, staged. Yeah. And so, during the rest of this, just so you're not confused, we're in the trial, and I'm going to give you the prosecution's evidence and their what they think happened, and then I'll go to the defense and what they think happened, and then where the jury was at at the end. Okay, I got it. One of the paramedics testified... Uh, when the prosecution was calling witnesses and he said that he overheard sam at the house the day that the murders happened um he walked over to margaret's body and said quote margaret you killed yourself and they thought that was weird because they thought that that was sam kind of placing the blame on margaret instead of like himself so it was like they think it could have been him deflecting why and why did he say that and not like oh my gosh who did this to you right right you know why did he assume that right um included in the evidence the prosecution used (coughs) was sam's bloody pants and shoes and what they believed was a bloody handprint on the back of his shirt Um, A blood splatter expert from Oregon named Rod Englert, um, he pointed out that the blood on his pants and shoes show evidence of him being in close close proximity to at least three of the attacks. He used a computer generated video reenactment of the crime scene that showed this theory as technically he testified that he was 110% that he was right and that kind yeah. of made the jurors like in science you most likely will never say that you're 110 right
1: you know yeah. they give a
0: little bit more like wiggle room for there be to be a possible different outcome mm-hmm. um but they weren't they did not like this it's the ex- guy. exaggeration yeah it's questionable. And they thought that he was overconfident in his science instead of giving the possibility that something else could have happened. And they were kind of like, how much of an expert is he if he's not willing to entertain that there was another possibility, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, So um, they also used, as evidence, bloody footprints leading down the stairs um, led investigators to believe it was Sam leading Margaret down the stairs. So Margaret had stepped in some blood and she was in her socks, which left footprints on the stairs. <sighs> but again, it's hmm. Margaret's footprints. And they think it was Sam that led her down there. Oh, okay. And then also, there were 19 single strands of hair located in the bloody hands of Margaret. So in her hands, they, they found 19 strands of hair. One single strand came from Sam. The other 18 were from Melissa. The 11-year-old girl. Huh. Weird, right? Yeah. But we'll talk about the hair in a second. Okay. Um, Prosecution, um, the prosecution's conclusion stated that even though Sam's statement said he was outside um, and he walked into the home to find the murder scene, their evidence shows that Sam was inside the house at the time of the killings and had possession of the murder weapon before the authorities arrived. The autopsies revealed that each victim died from multiple stab wounds and blunt force trauma from a hammer. It's Melissa. that they'd be able to prove that he was inside the house during this time of the murder. Well, that was in their conclusion statement. So, like, you know, when you watch a trial and they give, like, they they're talking to the jury saying all this evidence should tell you that mm. this is what happened. In their their prognosis yeah so then the defense is gonna say this is what's gonna prove to you that he what he says is what happened type of thing so they're kind of their statements are in facts like Mm -hmm. this proves this but they're talking to the jury trying to like Like in theory this is what we believe yeah the autopsies revealed that each victim died from multiple stab wounds and blunt force trauma from a hammer Melissa and Christy both had multiple stab wounds on their left side and multiple blows to their heads. Horrible. Which tells me, to be honest, I was like, as I was reading this, I was like, they were probably either asleep and on the couch on their sides, right? Or they were watching a movie or something on the couch on their sides. Mm -hmm. And that's when it happened. Oh, makes me so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, that's and so then, sad because you know they were probably just innocently i mean they were just innocently yeah. doing kids kids wh- stuff like they're just yeah. being kids yeah. like what our kids are probably doing right now just right like hanging out yeah and then somebody close to them did something horrible to them for right. some selfish reason mm-hmm. um clinton also had multiple stab wounds and blows to the head in addition to his fingers being chopped off right not all of them. It was just like a few of them. Um, okay. Margaret suffered nine stab wounds to the chest. Four of them were superficial with which indicates hesitation. So on one side, that could mean hesitation. So on the prosecution side, that's hesitation from Sam that he's like, not sure if he wants to do this. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, on the defense team side, it's, that she's doing that to herself and she hesitates. I see. Okay. Okay. So now we're done with the prosecution side and what their theories are. Okay. Now we're going to go to the defense team. Wow. Um, The defense team includes Ron Yengich and his team. Like I'm not sure of all the attorneys that were working with him, but Um, they began their defense statements and their evidence. So remember the single strand of hair that came from Sam? Well, Sam's attorney cross-examined the criminalist Robert Brinkman, who testified about this single strand he found matching Sam's hair. So Mm -hmm. he was originally the one who had that evidence, and then now they're cross-examining him. Okay. Apparently... He initially examined the hairs found in um, Margaret's hands just three days after the murders. But he only visually compared the samples still in the bag. So he had, you know, when they like book you into jail or whatever, they take hair. I've never been to jail, but they have a Mm -hmm. process. They click your nails. They do the fingerprints. They take some hair, especially if there's a murder investigation. So they have a bag. Here he has a bag of Sam's hair, and then he has a little baggie from the evidence pulled from Margaret's hands. He visually examines them and does not find anything that matches. So that's a f- three days after the murder. So he just is like, nope, doesn't look like anything matches. I mean, but how for- long is Sam's hair? Short. I mean, it wasn't as long as Melissa's, who had the 18 hairs in there you know,
2: yeah.
0: as a whatever, young girl. Okay. So, uh, but 14 months later, Brinkman came to a different conclusion after the investigators told him to look closer. This time, he put hairs into the slide things and focused his test on that one single strand of hair that was different from the 18 others, because they found 19. One of them was different than 18 of them. Right. So all the tests that were run are was on that one instead of they didn't do a lot of tests on the other ones at all really, but uh, 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 defense attorney Yengich, uh, during this cr- cross examination, implied that prosecutors may have manipulated the evidence because, in a preliminary hearing, Yengich questioned the prosecution on why they hadn't had the hairs tested and then all of a sudden there's this evidence with this single full hair with a root that the Mm -hmm. criminalist didn't notice before and now he does but he would have noticed that there was at least one hair with a root in it before right yeah Yeah, and it was shorter than the others because if you're looking closely then that's pretty noticeable right so they're like so, the defense attorney is like, that's suspicious just because he should have seen the root at least. Yeah. But he yeah. didn't even see that. Right. Oh, but that's hard to say too. Because it's like, what if he just didn't? You yeah. Know? I mean, but also when you're holding up little baggies like this, how much can you really tell? <laughs> you know? Yeah. True. And, th- kind of also seems like he did a half-assed job at the beginning and didn't actually do any work until they specifically requested it and yeah. i'm like i don't Sounds know like man <laughs> right oh yeah i said clean the kitchen that means take out the garbage do the dishes <laughs> wipe the counters yeah but you didn't say to do that you said clean the kitchen <laughs> you know yes, what i mean like i just made it look like it's not messy right it's like there's more to it than that. But there's so much more in the kitchen, though. <laughs> okay. Right. um, So, I think this Brinkman guy... Well, okay, here's the thing, too, is since I'm not in that world of forensics and stuff, I'm not 100% sure what their processes are and how far they can look into them without having a specific request. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. could they have looked into it more or do they have to wait for okay test this against this okay test this against this type of thing i don't know so i don't know how that works either but where the defense attorney is like implying that they didn't do what they should have done kind of tells me that maybe something was off a little bit yeah um yeah gangage the defense attorney also asked brinkman why he had not analyzed the fingernail scrapings from the victims but brinkman said that he did analyze the scrapings and told west jordan police department that he located fibers but no one asked him to compare the fibers with anything so it's like are you supposed to be asked specifically or are you not supposed to say this looks like t-shirt fibers or this looks like it could have come from what this guy was wearing because they take all the evidence. I mean, like, I do wonder, like, if he was a guy just in the lab, you know, just looking at stuff and submitting it into some kind of database. Yeah. I wonder if at that point it's, like, chain of command. It's, like, well, I put the info in there. So it's, like, whoever's running the investigation should have seen that that was found and then put in the next... Ticket or whatever, yeah, you know, right. So I can see that point of view where it's like, well, I didn't, I wasn't asked because it's not how it works, you know. Yeah, because in the movies they go and they investigate themselves, yeah. They're like, oh, this fiber. Let me test all these other fibers that are in the evidence bags. Like Mm -hmm. maybe they don't do that unless they're specifically asked. And to me, I'm like, no, curiosity. It gets the best of me. I would try to find out what that Every- is. Fibros- right? But maybe th- if maybe if they don't request it, they can't use it as evidence. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the rules. If someone knows the rules, tell us. But I don't know, um, I don't know either. <clears throat> the defense also points out in the recent months before the killings, Margaret had become withdrawn and paranoid which led to one doctor to speculate if schizophrenia was a possible diagnosis for her. The defense also argued that there was no proof or reason to believe the weapons had been wiped clean. When the defense team cross-examined the police officers who interrogated Sam, they were asked why they didn't even consider the possibility that it was in fact a murder-suicide by Margaret, and asked why the interrogation video was cut short and the officers responded, Either the tape ran out or there was nothing more of importance being said. And the defense attorney said, it may not have seemed important to you, but it could have been important for the resolution of this case. (laughs) Yeah. So they don't get to decide what's important or not. I was just going to say that. You don't get to decide what's important and what's not. Yeah. Okay. You cannot over document. I know. Right? Like. Ask all the effing questions. And here's the thing is that they were so tunnel vision on Sam did it that there was just literally no consideration for any other possibility in in the police minds. I can see why they reached that conclusion initially, but they just didn't even entertain the possibility of anything else. It was just Sam did it and that's who we're getting. They didn't even entertain the fact that someone could have snuck in the house if the door was unlocked like that's interesting they they only said sam did it and went with it the blood splatter expert rod englert was being cross-examined at this time and said that he was unaware that margaret's mental state in the recent weeks before the murders um was bad like she was not doing well mentally and his theory was built by the information given to him by the prosecution. So the prosecution only gave the blood splatter expert the information that supported Sam did it. Okay. I see. Yeah. So that's, that's where he's he biased. Yes. So that's where he got his theory and his little videotape and his dramatization of what happened. Okay. I see. Okay. So. We've been hearing a little bit about how Margaret was a little bit mentally not okay, right? But let's dive into that because it gets a little scary for her. Dr. Kimberly Walsh said she had seen Margaret a few months before uh, the murders happened and said Margaret had told her she had low self-esteem, depression, and eating disorders, in which Dr. Walsh told her to seek some treatment at a mental facility. She also testified that, quote, she also expressed to me that she felt she was the cause of family difficulties um, because she wasn't doing a good job as a wife and mother. She expressed feelings to me like she felt she would be better off dead or preferred to not go on living.
1: Oh, that's so sad. I know.
0: It makes me so sad for her because I'm like, you were doing a great job. Just. Yeah don't worry Being about that. Is hard. It is hard. And it's hard to feel confident in what you're doing as a mom too. Right. Cause there's no instruction manual. No. And every and kid's it feels different. Like everybody's judging. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's judging. Uh, you're not doing like going the extra mile, going to all the parties at the classrooms and bringing all the treats and oh, there's just, and throwing yeah. the perfect birthday parties and Oh, my gosh. It's there's so much pressure. pressure. Yeah. Jinx. Jinx. (laughs) Dr. Walsh also testified that Margaret had become abnormally close to a friend, a woman named Heidi, who supposedly had multiple personality disorder. Margaret expressed to her that she started to become scared of this Heidi person. This Heidi person was like a neighbor. And Margaret became friends with her and then it became a little bit like ooh, like too much okay yeah margaret got to the point where she thought heidi was bugging her home and taping and tapping her phone yeah and there wa- she thought that there was a device in her head so heidi could send her messages in morse code oh no yeah which is where i can see the schizophrenia coming from yeah so oh that is a bad that's a very dangerous friendship dynamic yes someone with multiple personality disorder and it kind of seems like margaret has either schizophrenia or some kind of like manic Psychosis. something yeah um oh yeah oh just that's the perfect storm yeah just the devices in her head i was like oh my gosh like she's not okay you know, Mm -hmm. Margaret's sister, Marion testified, quote, that person had basically taken over her life at that point. She couldn't make a move. She felt without this person knowing. And let's see, she said that Margaret told her, all I tried to do is help her. And how can this turn out so bad? And then Margaret also said, I'm probably not going to make it through the end of the year. So she was scared of this Heidi person. Wow, that's crazy! Like, did she have any reason to really be afraid of her though? Like, I I wonder because listen, I in in all of these testimonies, Heidi is not in them. Like, she herself does not testify, and I don't know who this mm-hmm. Heidi person is. I can't tell. Do you think that's do you think that she didn't testify because? she's not mentally probably i bet it's be- they didn't even call her because of her mental illnesses but right. i think that heidi's mental illness and margaret's mental illness fed off of each other so who mm-hmm. knows if heidi was feeling the same way about margaret was scared of her yeah. and then right right like they could have had the same delusions or mm-hmm. Or Heidi could have said something in one of her, like, episodes that scared uh, Margaret and just kind of, like, amplified stuff. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure exactly what it was, but for months, all she could talk about was uh, with her friends and with her sister was this Heidi person and that she was scared of her and whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, That's
0: sad. Marion also said that Margaret wanted to be the best at church. She wanted to care for all her neighbors. She wanted to do it all, but couldn't. Mm -hmm. I'm like, in my head, I'm like the pressure of not only being the perfect mom, but is to be the perfect person in Relief Society, to be the perfect churchgoer, to be the perfect whatever. Like the expectation people put on themselves that they have to be perfect is mm-hmm. it's just honestly like for the people who are in utah and do go to church in the lds faith you can't deny that there is this unspoken expectation to be perfect it's the culture yep. here right it's keeping up with the joneses <laughs> like yeah. you have to be perfect or yes. else you're not good enough to be in in the church or around people who go to church. Like it is the culture, and anyone who says it isn't is crazy. Um, well, because I I think it all stems from the fact that they think that 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 they themselves have to be as good as possible so that the next life, like the afterlife, is ultimate. You know, like yeah. that. I don't know how to explain it but like I think that that's why it's because they're like well I have to be the best so that my afterlife is set up they want to be, be in the top people. tier of heaven exactly yeah, yeah. they want to be the elite <laughs> yes in heaven exactly. yeah but the kind of pressure that puts on you and the honestly not only do they hold that expectations for themselves but they hold it to other people too they're mm-hmm. like, okay, you also need to be going to church, and you also need to be going to the temple, and you need to be able to wear well, because you should be wearing your garments, and right, yeah, you know. because they believe that like it affects them because oh, I won't get to see you in the afterlife if you're not doing what you're supposed to do in this life, yeah. So it, so that's why they pressure other people is because they think oh, but I won't get to see you ever again after we die if you're not living up to my expectations or the church's expectations and it's like i just don't think that that's how that works i just (laughs) think that's a whole lot of pressure and we really don't even know what's going on so right exactly so just do your best (laughs) (laughs) but margaret's relief society president in her ward her name was pam anderson and she testified that all margaret talked about during the recent months was heidi She also thought she broke a covenant and it meant that she wasn't worthy to pray or even read the scriptures, which is silly. Anyone can pray. (laughs) Anyone can read the scriptures. Um, If that is something you believe in doing, you can totally do that and you don't have to be at a certain level to do that. That's just the silliest thing.
1: Um, No
0: one can dictate that. Right. And she even told Pam, Margaret told Pam, quote, She didn't know how she could go on. She didn't know how her children could live without her or how she could live without her children. So she's feeling not only suicidal, but that she can't live without them and they can't live without her. So that's kind of a critical point, right?
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Something weird is that Pam, the Relief Society president, her husband, Patrick, was actually a real estate agent and was helping them buy a new house to get away from Heidi. So they were trying to get, like, move to get away from oh. the neighbor. Um Interesting. And the night before the murders, Patrick was at the Castanis. Sorry, her, their last name is really weird. Um, Patrick was at the Castanis ho- house finalizing the purchase of their new home, which Margaret had bought sight unseen. She had oh not gosh. even seen the house and she was buying it. Um, he said that he noticed as they were signing documents that Margaret seemed very empty and distant. And he, um, what he testified was, quote, I just felt concerned and wonder why she wasn't happy or excited because they're getting a new house. So, like, why wouldn't you be like, yeah, you know, so it's a like, huge step. Yeah. He was like, there's something off. Like, I thought she'd be happy. But then Margaret insisted that Patrick retrieves. And in her presence, tears up the previous offer they made on a different house. He had to tear it up in front of her face. Like, he she insisted that he bring it to her and tear it up. And which bothered Patrick because he was like, do you not trust me to, like, yeah. take care of this? Like, this is my job. Like, I do this every day. Do you not trust me? But he was like, oh, whatever. Like, he, he just thought it was weird. but. Right. Then the next morning, they were all murdered. Um, Wow, the timing. I know. It's so weird. It's so weird. Sam had been advised by a doctor at one point to admit Margaret to a psychiatric hospital. But at the last minute, Margaret refused because insurance wouldn't cover it. And she didn't want to use the family funds to pay for it. Um, A psychiatric Mm. nurse when she, they tried to admit her, her name was Jean Bramble, and she said that Margaret did not meet the criteria to be legally committed, um, like, against her will type of thing. Um, mm. She said that Margaret said she thought about suicide but did not have a specific plan or intent for suicide at that time. So she wasn't in crisis. Yeah, so if she didn't have a plan or, like, want to do it right now or ha- whatever, um, yeah. they're like, we can't keep, I mean, we can't force you to stay. it had have to be willingly. Right. Yeah. Um, right. so Dr. Kimberly Walsh said that she met with Margaret the day after that that happened, that she wouldn't go into the psychiatric facility. Um, and she told her that she was considering asking her mother to take her children because she wasn't up for it. She was still receiving messages in her head and was hearing mocking and snoring noises in her mind. Snoring? Snoring, Snoring. yeah. Mocking, snoring noises. Like, maybe like a, like a, because she said she was self-conscious and had low self-esteem, so maybe it was more like a, like a oink sound. Like, I can just imagine, like, something, because snoring noises.
1: That's so odd
0: you know i don't know if you've ever heard of like a theory that people who have these delusions or like can hear voices and stuff like they they can actually hear angels and demons i've heard that yeah so it's just interesting that she would hear something so weird weird cuz like if it was if if it wasn't snorting and it was snoring it's like That's such a low bellowing sound, you know? And like, I wonder if it's to like lower her vibration. Well, and and then she's hearing the Morse code in her head. Right. So like, that is so specific and like twisted seeming. I don't know. Like it, it just seems sinister to me. Yeah. It does seem sinister to me too. Like I would be, if I was her, I mean, obviously I'd be freaked out, you know, but like it, whether it's, whether it's delusion, like it's literally your own mind making it up or it's like something else terrifying. Mm-hmm. Either terrifying, way. I can't even imagine not being able to trust your own mind. Right. Like that freaks me out. How can like, <coughs> like that is so scary to me that yeah. I, there could be a scenario where like my mind is playing tricks on me. Like it's betraying me in a way, you know yeah. what I mean? right like it it makes me think about like the uh is it 1408 or 1406 yeah 1408
1: you know where I forget about that
0: yeah where it's like or even like the movie with Jim Carrey what's that one I can't remember but where it's like their reality doesn't match like what they're seeing happening isn't what other people are seeing happening right and so they're like is this real is it Is it paranormal? Is it delusions? Like, what the hell? I know. And no one knows. (sighs) Like, you can't really say if it's paranormal or not. Like, you don't, we don't know. You know what Mm I mean? Um, Okay. The next week after that, after this meeting with Dr. Walsh, so she goes to the psychiatric ward and says, no, I don't want to go. The next morning, she goes to Dr. Walsh and she says, these things are still happening. Then a week later, uh, Margaret seems to have improved and said, "quote, or sorry, this is um, Doctor Walsh's quote." She said she denied to me that she would kill herself, saying her LDS beliefs prohibited her from taking her own life. Hmm. So, and then on November fourth, a couple months after that, she called Doctor Walsh. Margaret called Doctor Walsh and said she wanted to discontinue therapy. Um, Dr. Walsh testified, quote, she said she felt overwhelmed and out of control. I literally begged her to not drop out of treatment. And then only 13 Uh. days later, Margaret and her children were killed. Wow. That's going to be so hard as a therapist. As a therapist. Can you imagine? Like, she's like, I knew there was something, you know, but the prosecutor, he asked her Um, did you have any indication through your last conversation with her that she posed a danger to anyone except herself? Like knowing she was suicidal, but did you know or believe she could be a danger to someone else? And Dr. Mm -hmm. Walsh said, no, Dr. Walsh said during their 20 sessions, Margaret always spoke (laughs) positively, spoke positively of her husband, Sam. She said that she was still very much in love with him And had butterflies when she saw him still and that it was a very supportive loving relationship so even Hmm. as honest as she was with her feelings and everything they she never indicated that there were problems in their marriage okay so dr john burton uh is an atlanta chief medical examiner he was hired by the defense to testify um he demonstrated how attackers with a knife end up with the wounds that Margaret had on her hands so when an attacker is using a knife to attack someone um yeah. the the blood makes the knife slippery and usually their hand will slip onto the blade and cut their hands
1: right so
0: right. it is possible for that to be where Margaret got her wounds on her hands, that they Mm -hmm. weren't defensive wounds. They were actually from her attacking, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Offensive wounds. Yes. And it is possible for people to stab themselves more than once, depending on their determination. So she had nine stab wounds in her chest. He said that is possible. She could have done that before she actually succumbed to it. Burton said, despite the evidence that she had mental instability in the recent months, Margaret was also prescribed prednisone. Prednisone is an anti-allergy medication and is notorious for causing psychosis in some people. Really? Not everybody, but it is a side effect for some. Yeah, interesting. And she was taking that on top of all her other stuff. Okay. Um, Dr. Burton concluded that Margaret had killed her children and then herself, um, based on the evidence. So that medical examiner said, in his professional opinion, that is what happened. Margaret's mother took the stand, and she testified that she spoke to Margaret the night before the murders, and she said, quote, I'd never heard a voice so flat. Um, She said that her daughter also once told her, quote, you may have to raise these children in which her mother said "Margaret they need their mother." And then Margaret replied, "I can't leave the kids with you and I can't leave the kids with Sam alone and I can't go on." Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's like cuz she she had said multiple times to multiple people, "I right. don't want to leave Sam with all this responsibility." Mm-hmm. Like like she had told many friends and her mom and sister she wanted to die. and but she couldn't leave sam alone with the kids because he's like she's like i don't want to do that to him but i'm like wow like so sad She stayed around for his benefit like i don't want to do this to you so i'm staying which is great that she stayed for as long as she could have but so sad that she felt like that for so long so long oh it makes me so sad for her that's heartbreaking And then Sam was called to the stand and he testified that uh, he said, quote, I loved her and she loved me. And he explained that they had a really great relationship and they never fought. It was just good, you know, but he knew she Mm -hmm. had challenges. She, you know, and he tried to get her help. And he was, you know, she went to therapy, and he tried to get her into a psych ward. And just, yeah. Like, what can you do at that point? Like, at right. some point, it's like I, I did everything I knew. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sam said he noticed a change in Margaret, though, in the in mid 1990, after the death of their nephew that she was really close to, and she said, or he said that she would stay up really late at night and she couldn't sleep. And she'd just, like, keep herself busy because she didn't want to sleep. I kind of wonder if, like, the lack of sleep on top of the grieving mm-hmm. really messed with her chemicals in her brain. Like, I can yeah, imagine right. is it takes a toll. And then, so now, uh, after 21 days of testimony, this trial went on for 21 days. The jury began deliberation. One of the jurors, Joyce Gardner said, quote, we went over all the evidence very, very carefully. The morning went slowly and there were a lot of tears like they were going through Aww. all the evidence. They're seeing I mean, they have to see the evidence photos. They have to see what happened to all the like the kids and the mom. And I can't even imagine. I bet you can't get that out of your mind, you know? No, never. Never the jurors said that they had to keep reminding themselves that Margaret was not on trial. Um, A lot of the evidence and testimony described her as mentally unstable, but this trial was to determine if Sam was guilty or not guilty. A lot of their conversation sometimes ended up being like, what was wrong with Margaret and what Margaret should have done, but it wasn't like, that wasn't what it was about. So they had to keep redirecting it to like Sam. (laughs) Did mm-hmm. he do this or did he not do this? Um yeah, right. Deliberations began at 9 a.m. And out of, so there was six men and six women on the jury. And initially, 10 were on the side of not guilty and two were indecisive. So after eight hours of back and forth deliberation and going through all the evidence, uh, they came back with a verdict of not guilty on all counts. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. During their discussions, they were all basically disgusted with how the West Jordan police handled the case and the interrogation. One juror said, quote, the police had their minds pretty much made up from the beginning that Sam had done the killings. Police and prosecutors only looked for evidence that supported their theory and never considered any other possibilities. The jurors did not, like I said, they did not like that blood splatter expert, (laughs) They said that he was way too confident in himself and kind of arrogant. Those just the fact that he said he was 110% sure of his findings. They didn't really trust him. Right. After the verdict, Sam said, quote, I've waited a year and a half for this, you know, relieved, obviously, that he didn't have to go Mm -hmm. back to jail. Uh, Sam returned to work two weeks after the trial. And his employers and co-workers at Salt Lake County were happy to welcome him back. He ended up Mm -hmm. going bankrupt for paying for his defense team. He had to quit his job when he was arrested, right? Um, And he had to pull from his retirement to pay for his legal fees. So he basically was starting at ground zero after he was released. Isn't that so sad that he was just trying to prove his innocence? Mm -hmm. Because of something that his... I mean, that's if that's what happened. Right. Oh, how sad. How sad. And I'm sure he's all like messed up now because like even right after it happened, he was arrested for four days, Mm -hmm. you said. So it's like he didn't even have the time to be comforted and grieve like with his family family yeah, and friends and like people that he loved. Like he was in a jail cell for four days right after and just thinking about that like can you imagine the mental like it, if he's so innocent sad. like i personally believe that he didn't do it I don't. the reason so the reason is because he never changed his story his story stayed mm-hmm. the same throughout the entire trial he was never like like blubbering and, and looking for like words he was always like this is what happened Right. this is what happened and he was he never changed it not even a little like he never like exaggerated anything he was just like this is what I did this is what happened this is you know and right um and the and just the psychosis that Margaret was in I hate to say it but like I feel like she did do that because well, there's think- so many witnesses that came forward that said oh yeah I- this is what she said to me this is mm-hmm. what I witnessed you know like there's yep. so much to back up that she was not in a good place but I I just I wonder what triggered like her me. like what triggered her to do it like that and like know, that's like so sad with her, her mind her mind wasn't okay like, like she didn't have a good sense of reality so like what was the trigger that was like okay it's happening now you know what I mean? Happening now and they're coming with me. Like it, it must have been the voices. Like whatever she was hearing. Oh, like I know maybe, she was just yeah. hearing sounds like the Morse code and stuff. But at some point, because she was so withdrawn, I wonder if she was actually starting to hear voices. Like actual voices telling her to do things. Mm-hmm, maybe. Because and by uh, the escalation. Yeah, Like this reminds me of like an episode from Snapped or something. Yeah, right. Right. Oh. So to those children, the last thing that they saw was their that. mom hurting them. With a hammer. Right. And a knife. Can you? And that poor boy with his. Like fingers. in the most painful way possible. Oh my gosh. It makes me. He He was alive for a second. Like the dad found him and he was alive and then he. Like at least his dad got to be with him. Mm-hmm. But like in the 911 call, he I'm not going to lie, like this Sam guy does not sound like a very emotional person. He was mm-hmm. just like, I thought he was bleeding from his mouth and his freaking and his fingers were chopped off. And the 911 person is like, his his fingers are chopped off? He's like, yeah, there's a lot of blood. Like he doesn't sound like, like he's panicking. But maybe yeah. he just isn't the type to panic. Like or maybe is he's in just shock. like or a shock. Like he just seems like a very stoic person and just not super emotional.
2: Oh but, my gosh,
0: that's so sad. Yeah, isn't that just the worst freaking story of all time? And it freaks me the fuck out. So you said it was in West Jordan. Yeah. Where in West Jordan did this happen? Um, let's see if I can find the address. Because I'm very familiar with that area. Okay, one sec. 3524 West, 6825 South. Okay. That's, like, really close to um, where we lived on Dixie Drive. Mm. I think it's on, because where we lived was on the west side of Bingeter. I think that address is just on like just on the east side of Bingeter. Oh, Okay. 91. Yeah. We were right there. We were cross banging her. You should, we should ask, we should call mom and ask her. She knows about this. Okay. It's only nine o'clock. Hey, mom. Hi. We are recording an episode. We have a question for you Do you know about a murder that happened in 91 in West Jordan? And it was about 6,900 south and about 3,500 west. So it would have been like right over by where we lived. It was a mom and her three kids.
1: Oh, so it's not ringing a bell.
0: What was the last name of April? Costanis. I can't
1: remember that. Have listen
0: I- to episode 36 if you want to know.
1: All right. Well, I got to 18 or something.
0: Oh, wow. That's pretty far. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I'm moving along, but I'm currently reeling over the current murder-suicide in Enoch, Utah. Oh
0: yeah, gosh. that's in my notes. Just is it?
1: Happened. Yes,
0: the dad yeah, did, did it. The dad did it. See, I I saw breaking news of it last night, like an hour after it came out or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. And then I haven't looked at the news since about it.
1: I guess he took out his five children, ranging from age four to seventeen. Yep. And beautiful family they've had, Mm -hmm. and um, his mother-in-law, so his wife's mother,
0: that was there
1: trying to help them out.
0: That's so sad. Do Do you know why? Did you read why?
1: Um. Apparently, she um, filed for divorce two weeks ago.
0: Yep. Wow.
1: I just think that the, the society right now, everyone is so fragile that the slightest thing can just be that straw that broke the camel's back for people. Yeah. So, I don't know. He, he is no longer working at the job that he was working at, and there's not the story hasn't come out about why that's not so maybe he got fired and didn't know what to do and so like and then she's divorcing him so his world was crashing. yeah like lost oh, his
0: job lost his wife mm-hmm. losing his house maybe boy
1: crazy so tough tough deal i mean and i guess even the mayor was just very grief-stricken on the news and and you know his children played with these children and oh, wow. it's a very tight it's a small community so it's a very tight-knit community in fact the mother and like one of the daughters i want to say the oldest but i'm not sure was just at a, a church function the night before
0: that's oh, so, sad.
1: so sad so yeah i think when a when a parent takes out the entire family it's gut-wrenching for society mm-hmm. you know? Like you're, what, you're supposed what, to
0: protect them.
1: Right. You know, there's one thing from suicide, you know, that's touched a lot of families, but there's a whole nother thing to, well, I'm not going to be here, neither are you and take mm-hmm. out everybody. I, I don't, my head just can't wrap around that, but my heart aches for the the community down there and their extended family. And I just think what, what goes through people's heads to, to go beyond themselves in that.
0: Right. Act? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, anyway. My gosh. So sad.
1: Okay, well, we'll let you go. Good luck with your episode. That Thank you. Awesome. Talk to you guys later. Okay. okay bye. 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 Bye.
0: Okay. I'm almost done. Okay. I'm ready. It really is just like a couple things. Um, I was gonna talk about the Enoch thing, but mom did that. Um, but yeah, it is similar to what literally just happened yesterday. Uh, For us, it was yesterday but it's January 4th of this year. Eight people were found dead in a home in Enoch City, Utah. Um, Enoch City Police Department were sent to a home for a welfare check and when officers arrived, they found bodies of eight victims. Mike Hot, 42. Tasha Hot, 40. Their children ranged from four to 17. There was a four-year-old, two seven-year-olds, Uh, a 12-year-old, and a 17-year-old, as well as Tasha's 78-year-old mother, Gail Earl. Um, The investigation currently believes the father, Mike Haught, or Hate, I don't know, um, killed his family and his mother-in-law and then himself after Tasha filed for divorce.
1: Oh, my Um,
0: gosh. Our thoughts go out to the family and friends of the hate hot family. I don't know what it is. So now I feel bad. And the Enoch city community who are feeling this loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wanted to say just a quick thing, um, that therapy is such an amazing tool and we talk about it often. Um, but for literally anyone, but if you or anyone, you know, is experiencing emotional or mental difficulty, there are many tools to make it easy to find a therapist. Um, yep. I personally have used psychologytoday.com where you can find a, a therapist in your area. Just put in your zip code and you can scroll through all the therapists in your area. You can see mm-hmm. what they treat, what insurance they take, if they're taking new clients, they have contact information. Super great. Um, But if you feel like you can't afford therapy, There are many resources in your area. Um, All you need to do is call United Way by dialing two one one, and they can assist you with finding affordable therapy in your area. If not free, just depends. But um, okay, so yeah, that's that's my story. Good one. I've never heard of that one. Me either. I ran across it a couple days ago, and I was like, "What in the?" Yeah. it makes you wonder how many more stories are out there probably like so so the suicide or like the parent murdering the family and then themselves is called parasite so it's like parent suicide or whatever Mm -hmm. um but there there's a story i think you haven't covered it but may it's in i think it's in Of the mom and the kids that jumped off the building. Remember that? Or out yeah, of the window. Yeah. Have you covered that yet? I don't think you have. Not yet. No. That's the hotel that yeah. I'm wanting to cover. Yeah. That, okay. I was thinking that we go stay a night there. Okay. That's the one because I almost did that one, but I was like, no, because I know there's ghost stories tied to this one. So, um, okay, good. I'm but glad yeah. you left it. So, yeah. And I just didn't realize because it's hard to, I'm not going to lie, it's hard when you look at the women list on murderpedia because the women it's usually them killing their children and that's a hard topic you know to cover hard and like especially how brutal it is and so like if people skip over this and I totally understand because it's it was rough to research and one of ugh, one of the things on YouTube I saw had pictures, and I like almost died. What? So it had like a like, like, leaked crime scene. Photos. Yeah, it like blurted out enough to where it but was still. like, but you can see. Yeah, like you so still sad. have the image. Yes, so, I can. And your see... brain can fill in the blanks. Right now, I can see Clinton on the bathroom floor, and I can't get it out of my mind. Oh. <sighs> So anyways, oh gosh,
1: poor child.
0: I know. was so sad. Like I feel, uh, you know, you want to like hate the mom and be like, how could you do this to your kids? Like you are horrible, but like she literally lost it. Like she was not okay. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to get help and trying to do this, like what she could for her family, but sh- she stopped going to therapy to be selfless. So she could for financial reasons and she was like yeah no I'm not going to be a burden but she had all these like really deep like issues but Mm -hmm. she was like literally just trying to do her best and just lost her mind like literally
1: Mm -hmm. she lost her
0: battle to mental health yeah she lost it and like I just it makes me so sad because I'm like she did work like she Mm -hmm. went to therapy she tried to get help and she knew she wasn't okay. Like, she knew. And she was even, like, telling her mom, you have to take care of the kids. Like, you have to. So, I'm yeah, not it gonna seems make like it. she didn't have. It seems like she didn't have a plan to hurt them. No.
1: But it's I don't like, think she did. why did she? Why? Be- you know? I think,
0: legit, I think it's because she didn't want to leave Sam to take care of the kids. So, she took like, that with her. That was her. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, man. Why did you have to go and tell me this story? I don't know. Okay, so I'm talking about <laughs> the Salt Lake Masonic Temple. Whoa, and we I saw this on our drive. Yeah, we did. But I do have an apology to dish out. I called it freaky deaky. <laughs> 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 and I just want to like say I said that because I didn't know anything. <laughs> before <laughs> so now that i know some things i have to say it's not freaky deaky it's just misunderstood and mysterious okay which i guess you could still say is freaky deaky but i think that maybe somebody is offended by that so I'm it's sorry. just a really simplified version of mysterious freaky deaky is yeah mysterious it's not meant in an ill way i don't mean it to hurt anyone's feelings It just means eccentric and like different different and unique. And yeah. So, anyway, I accept your apology. That's my apology. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Oh, and this is also my warning that, like, because it's the Masonic Temple, I'm going to be talking about Freemasons. And then I'm also going to be diving into like how it's connected to Mormonism. So if you're not into that, if you don't want to hear it, this is your invitation to leave. <laughs> <laughs> like, I won't, I won't be offended by that. That's saving yourself from being upset with me. Do us both, both a favor and leave. And right, that way, you don't disown us as people on the planet because right. we don't need any more of that. <laughs> no, we're already disowned by so many people. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. Okay. okay. So the Salt Lake Masonic Temple is located on 650 east in South Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, the first appearance of Freemasonry in Utah was, well, besides Brigham Young arriving because he was a Freemason. Mm. Um, but the first time that Freemason Freemasonry, oh gosh, Freemasonry, really made an appearance was when the U.S. troops came to Utah and made Camp Floyd shout out to episode four mm-hmm. and they built Utah's first Masonic Lodge oh you remember me talking about that I think I mentioned it I do but like briefly yeah I remember like I didn't like I didn't talk about it I just mentioned it right uh but of course that lodge came to an end uh, when the Civil War broke out and all the troops left Utah and uh, Camp Floyd was completely deserted. After that, it wasn't until November of 1865 when 14 Masons, led by a guy named James M. Ellis, met in Salt Lake City and petitioned for a lodge to be built. Okay. Uh, they wanted it to be called the Grand Lodge of Nevada. In Utah? Um, in Utah, because they were from nevada and i guess like how the lodges work is like there's a main one and then there's branches off of that okay. so like if you want to build a new lodge it has to stem from the a mother one. lodge oh yeah. okay okay exactly so they they wanted it to stem from whatever was in nevada which i didn't really dig into all that so anyway okay fair enough um So they wanted this Grand Lodge of Nevada to be built and they added a stipulation that no Mormons would be allowed as they wouldn't be allowed to become a Mason at this lodge and they wouldn't be allowed to enter in as a guest either. Really? Okay. Of course that sparked a lot of drama between the Masons and the Mormons, Mm -hmm. but on a larger scale, like in their defense on a larger scale, this was a stipulation that became more and more common in other states because of Mormons not being wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is funny because, take this out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's funny because Mormons don't let people in their temples. Yeah, right? But if someone else says you can't come in our temple, they're like, how dare you? Right. Exactly. Well, and what I think is funny is that before this, as far as I understand, Freemasons are completely open to all religions. Okay. Like you even atheists can join. And like they had this one stipulation, except Mormons. (laughs) (laughs) So I just think that was really funny. So Freemasonry is not a religion. No. Okay. It's a fraternity. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes yeah. sense but we'll a get into like how serious yeah, brotherhood. Okay. And I'll tell you that your Josh would want to join. <laughs> <laughs> he wants like, to have a brotherhood so bad. Right. Like learning about <laughs> how serious they take it and like the secrecy and like the you have to be in the club to understand kind of thing. I'm like oh, that's, that's so, so Josh. His yeah, it's so Yeah, his like that's yeah, he would love to like be able to be in a discussion of like People asking him for questions and him being like, can't tell you. I can't can't tell tell you. you. Yeah, Yeah. it's top secret. Only the elite men will know. Right, exactly. What an idiot. We're just calling him Josh a misogynist. That's fine. Right? Oops. (laughs) He just likes secrets. That's fine. He likes secrets. And I think that he just likes to have people ask him what he knows, you know? Yeah so anyway (laughs) uh i think we talked about that at the what's the other club thing you did you did the alta club the alta club we talked about that too like he just wants to be part of a club (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's fine he just wants friends that's all we just need to find him a club to be a part of (laughs) yeah maybe that would be the podcast resolution (laughs) like we found josh Josh a club club. yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell him all okay. about it but you know what he would know if he'd listen right yeah he would know Jerk. but he'll never know okay okay go ahead he probably Sorry. does listen he probably does listen Because so I also feel like he'd be the type to like say I don't listen but then listen and pretend like he doesn't know what we've been talking about like to know something and to think that we don't know that he knows probably I could see him secretly listening Josh, but I guarantee, I guarantee you but guarantee you he's not because he, his job is more important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure he has an hour out of two weeks to listen to. Two hours out of two weeks to listen oh, to us, right? Not him. He's a busy, busy man. Doing his busy, busy man things. <sighs> okay. Let me get back to my story here. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So, you're good. Alright. So, It's becoming more and more popular to add that as a stipulation. Mormons are not allowed. Right. Exactly. Um, So these guys that came from Nevada, they tried to start this lodge and the locals, whether they're Mormon or not, they disapproved. They were like, no, that's that's not cool. You know, everybody is included. Either we all play nice or we don't play at all. Hmm. Um, They also argued that it would violate their rights so, after arguing back and forth, the petition was denied officially in September of 1867. That they couldn't? Which I think that they could it? not build this lodge. Okay. okay. Um, so, meanwhile, two law partners from Montana named Obed Strickland and Reuben Robertson filed a petition in October of 1866 for the Montana Grand Lodge to be built. Mm. So, like I said, how it has to branch off of another one. They okay. wanted the one in Utah to be uh, from Montana. The Montana Grand Lodge, right? Okay. Uh, at the same time, another group of Masons who were Mormon Masons, so they're from Utah, um, they were contemplating whether or not whether or not to start what they wanted to call the United Grand Lodge of England. What? What ended up happening? Is that the two law partners from Montana joined forces with the group of Mormon Masons and they formed the Argenta Lodge or Argenta? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Argenta Lodge.
1: Argenta. Then it later sounds became, like magenta.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's spelled A R G E N T A. Argenta sounds right. Yeah, I think. Hmm. Ar- it's going to be another Le Monde. <laughs> thing <laughs> maybe <laughs> okay so uh so it later became the grand lodge of utah in january of 1872 the growth of the fr- of the fraternity in utah it grew over time and by the 1920s freemasonry in utah was flourishing mm-hmm. and because of all the growth a new headquarters needed to be built the decision for the new Masonic temple or the decision to build a new Masonic temple took place in the fall of 1920 and their meeting was held at their old, old location which was on 2nd 2nd East and 1st South in Salt Lake City. So here's just a picture of like a book that was written about the first 100 years of Freemasonry in Utah. So mm-hmm. I think a lot happened in that first 100 years with a book to be written about it. Like things changing and being built and people. Yeah, just how it leadership and Okay. Exactly. Um, a man <clears throat> named Carl W. Scott was the architect to build the new temple. And this is what it looks like now. It's nice. Uh, yeah, nice. Nice building. <laughs> good walls. <laughs> good sturdy uh, sphinx windows. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> this I building like its was done
0: porch cover up at the top there. That's oh yeah. Nice. Yep. But I think in nice. and... stone. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> Chiseled. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Chiseled's a good word. <laughs> uh this building was done in what's called the Egyptian revival architecture. Uh, the architect Carl W. Scott, he enjoyed designing the building and put a lot of effort towards the symbolism, both inside and out. Oh. Scott and a building committee traveled around to different Masonic temples like around the country for inspiration. Oh. And ultimately, they decided that this temple should be unique and not to copy any other Masonic temple so far. Hmm. Uh, the Way plans to be for the new unique and authentic. Yeah, way to, way to try to be different. Way to break the But life. honestly, does it look all that different from like It looks like a library stuff? to me. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Like it doesn't look so unique and grand and like we're going to make this different than all the rest. It's like but what's so special? <laughs> I mean, there's some things that are pretty cool looking. From, but I'm just talking about from the outside, I guess. I wonder if it's like in the really small details, like up in the top thing canopy whatever that is there's like a little symbol and then the things right right above the doors are all fancy like i wonder if it was like trying to like make it big but not too much i don't know i mean it's fine it's good it's a building and it looks like it won't tip over (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it can it can withstand the winds right and that's important in utah yeah it is important (laughs) so the plans for the new masonic temple were completed by 1925 and that same year the land was purchased as well as some of the sculptures and artwork were being designed and created so you'll see like the sphinxes that are out front Mm. um those are being done at the same time that the plans like the blueprints were being done okay so it all was coming together around the same time the construction of the Masonic Temple was completed in 1927. So there's some pictures of the inside. Very yellow. Right? And doesn't that kind of remind you of, like, the church? The LDS church buildings? Mm-hmm. Remember how everything looks like that? Yeah. What they're missing is, like, the carpet on half the wall. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the basketball court. Oh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um... So light is considered to be one of the most significant symbols of Freemasonry, and Scott made sure to incorporate a lot of the Egyptian references to light in the design of the temple. There are also a lot of references to the Egyptian god Horus, okay. and she is considered by Egypt- Egyptologists to be the god of light, and you'll see symbols of that throughout the building. Oh, sorry. So Scott's vision was for those who walked in to be immediately reminded of the mission to make good men better
1: quote, good men,
0: better. That's like their motto. Mm -hmm. He wanted each step that led into the temple to be a reminder of the journey in life and their goals to advance in life. So the staircase consists of three, of three flights And one flight has three steps. One has five, one has seven, and one has nine. So in this picture, I kind of showed you, there's actually technically one. So that's where you start. Mm -hmm. The one, three, five, seven, and nine.
1: So he was even
0: symbolic in how many steps go up into the building. What's the significance of those numbers? I'll tell you. So in Freemasonry, the numbers one, three, five, seven, and sometimes nine, not always, sometimes, it's like it's sometimes, like sometimes yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> one three five seven and sometimes nine <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um those numbers show up a lot in, in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. and I didn't I couldn't even begin to like list all of it so I'm thinking that maybe one of these times I might do an on deck desk uh story about the conspiracies behind freemasonry and like okay. how it's all connected dip- to different things um but anyway so this is just the scratching the surface of what it's all about so number one represents the starting point of all creation and is often described as a sphere and the center is everywhere and the circumference is nowhere What the f- in mathematics <laughs> Excuse me. In mathematics, one is considered to be a powerful number in some ways because one to the power of any number is still one. In geometry, one dimension is just a line with no height. Let me show you. Um, it's just a line with no height or depth. So when looking at a line, it can represent polar- polarity, like negative and positive, hot and cold, yin and yang, wet and dry, etc., the analogy here is used to suggest unity and potential. Okay. All right. Then we have the number three. So three is a significant number because in the, in the third dimension, that's when creations are visible, a.k.a. something has been manifested. In Freemasonry, out of the five senses, three of them are said to be the most important, and that's seeing, hearing, and feeling. And there's number five. Five is the expansion beyond the three dimensions. It's believed to be what gives potential and intelligence to matter. Some masons refer to the bible with sorry some masons refer to the bible with the number five because in the book of Genesis the phrase quote be fruitful and multiply is repeated five times throughout the book. Hmm. So the number five is also a number that represents unity and is considered to be a sacred number and a number that represents multiplying. So, um, having babies and stuff.
1: Yeah. This number is
0: also represents the five human senses and one of the Masonic symbols is a five-pointed star. Okay. <clears throat> then we have number seven. And seven is a number that represents the seven planets, which were the seven old gods of Babylon. Also, the seven days of the week, and every seven days, the moon begins a new phase. And in Freemasonry, they talk about moons, like that's a symbol as well. Oh. Um, in Freemasonry, you also need seven masons to make a lodge, And master masons wear a tassel that has seven chains, which indicate completion. That's the picture of the chains. Then we have the number nine, which mathematically speaking, the number nine is mystical in a lot of ways. For example, nine multiplied by any common number equals a number that when the digits are added equal nine. So like nine times five. Equals forty five, and then four plus five equals equal nine. Right. Yeah. Um, Masons consider it significant that nine is found in the number three sixty, because three plus six plus zero also equal equals nine. There are several other examples of how nine fits in mathematically. But those are just two examples I was easily able to find. Mm-hmm. Um, an Egyptian art. Sorry, go to the next slide. So. Egyptian art and symbols are placed around the temple that symbolize self-improvement and learning. You know, when you look at this closer, it is actually pretty cool. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, there is a lot of details. Like, I see, like, why it is special. I just mean, like, I don't know. Like, there's a Salt Lake Temple, you know, and there's, like, it just looks more grand and, like... Pure and like whatever. So yeah, I see what you're saying. Like it's like they could have done more with like the shape and body of the the building (coughs) itself and include all these details instead of just making it like a square, yeah, like a rectangle, yeah, Yeah. columns, yeah, yeah. So Egyptian art is Mm -hmm. seen around the building, and that usually signifies self improvement and learning. Uh, in the design, Scott placed three doors. To the building okay. there's the north door the south door and the west door and these three entrances to the temple symbolize the lights of a masonic lodge and i'll get there in a second okay so the main entrance is the north side which is symbolic because typically the northern side of the building is darker since the sun doesn't hit that part of the building mm-hmm. and so when you walk through the door is to symbolize going from the darkness and into the light. Okay, does that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the western exit is not to be used as often because it's used as the funeral exit. So oh. it remains closed at all times until there's a funeral. And it was also recognized as a symbol, uh, a symbol and was part of the ceremony. like that door itself is symbolic. Is this on the, the west western, door? I think so. I couldn't find like pictures that had like s- like labels on them, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that the picture on the left here is the west door. Picture on the right is the north door. What's up with the beetle? I'll tell you that in just a sec. Oh, okay. So on the western door, which I think is the one on the left, mm-hmm. um, there used to be a scare a scarab scarab, which is the beetle. Oh, okay. Scarab. Scarab, Scarab, yeah. So there used to be one of those on the door. And when they would open the door, that scarab would like split open, and it signified a break in the lifespan of a mason who passed away. Okay. And Mm. a scarab symbol in Egyptian is an Egyptian symbol that involves a beetle. And... It represents resurrection and immortality. Interesting. And I read that only Master Masons were given the option to have a Masonic funeral. So you had to be like higher range. High tier person to be in the, okay. Right. This is so fascinating to me, but I keep looking at my face and I'm like like, my face is all like like squinty like trying to look at the distorted. but it's so fascinating to me but also i love egyptian stuff yeah that egyptian history was always my favorite interesting Mm -hmm. see and it was difficult for my brain to retain a lot of that stuff oh really like i didn't Yeah, even still, like, I have a hard time with Egyptian history. So I'm like, but where does the timeline fit, you know? Yeah. So, but I love the designs. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating. Okay, So in all, Mm -hmm. the temple is supposed to represent each phase of a mason's journey from their awareness to the end. So the temple is guarded by two statue sphinxes. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, they are made out of granite that was mined here in Utah. Oh. Um each sphinx it has a fear, has a sphere. This is hard to say. Each sphinx has a sphere. <laughs> <laughs> one sphere represents celestial and one represents terrestrial. Okay. Uh, they are meant to be contemplating about the sphere that they possess. Although when you're looking at the picture, they're, they're not under the paw. It's in front of them. Yeah, I just noticed that. Well, what? that's, I don't know, that's what the article said. But if you look at the pictures, that's not what's happening. I just want to go back and look. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're not under in the paw. It's front just... of it. Yeah. Huh. Well, maybe at one time anyway. it was that way. Maybe it's like the Mandela effect, you know? <gasps> oh, those but... out. <laughs> Those are so weird. Okay, no. okay, so apparently the symbols around the temple hold a lot of significance to those who are members of the lodge. So, like, we might see certain things and be like, oh, yeah, I recognize this, I recognize that. But the people who are actually members they see so much more that they're like you don't even know like there's so much more symbolism that you don't even understand so and i will say too that if i have anything incorrect in my notes i'm really just going off of what other people have said because i don't have any firsthand knowledge of of this temple or freemasonry or any of that kind of stuff so if i have any that's wrong i'm really sorry and i'll post my sources (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, when the masonic temple was built it officially became the seventh and final home of the freemasonry in utah um the temple includes several lodge rooms banquet halls a few lounges an auditorium a library and they have administrative offices hmm. so it's pretty massive and i did read like because you know i post on the utah haunted history facebook page uh-huh. um there was a comment of someone that said that like yeah like somebody i knew used to be a mason and they said that like the building is a complete maze it's really hard to find your way around if you don't know where you are so. that's so cool like it's freaky like you know like it's not freaky mm-hmm. like like it's freaky deaky yeah yeah <laughs> But it's just, like, it's so secretive that, like, anyone on the outside is just, like, what in the heck? Like, it's, like, it's so cool. This red room, Mm -hmm. for some reason, gives me the heebie-jeebies, though. I don't know Oh, just wait, dude. Okay. The Salt Lake Masonic Temple is home to several different lodges. And let me explain to you that lodges aren't always necessarily structures, Sometimes when you hear lodge, yes, it means like an actual like building and like a lodge goes there, Mm -hmm. but what in a lot of context, it actually means like a group of people. A lodge is like a group. Because like said at least seven people have to have, have to be in a lodge. Like, yeah. Okay. So it could be just a group of guys that want to have their own club and they- don't yeah. necessarily have a meeting place it's just the the group itself is a lodge correct okay yes okay. so like it could be an actual lodge that they, that they go to yeah but it could be a lodge going to a lodge you know okay. so I'm trying not I'm trying not to make it confusing I'm trying to like overly explain it so everybody understands yeah that. no that makes sense. okay so um the different lodges that go to the Salt Lake Masonic temple, uh-huh. Are I listed them here: the Wasatch Lodge number one, the Mount Moriah Lodge number two, the Argenta Lodge number three, the Salt Lake Lodge number seventeen, the Progress Lodge number twenty-two, the Orient of Utah, and the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, the Grand New- the Grand York Rite bodies of Utah, and the Constituent Salt Lake York Rite bodies. The El Kala Shrine, the Grand Bodies for the Ladies and Youth Organization. So, <laughs> so anyway, there's just the a lot names there. are so strange. Yeah, like so official, like the Grand Lodge of this and that. It's like, okay. like it's like you made yourself so official (laughs) they take it so seriously like they're not just like a soccer team making up a name like the rockets or something like (laughs) Like the green team (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) i remember side note i remember when i was in junior jazz the team name that my team chose i was mortified i'm like you guys picked this this is like the lamest team name can i tell you what it was what was it it was the green mean fighting machines. I remember that. Do you remember that? How yes. stupid that name is? Yes, oh and gosh. I was just like no one even wants to say that out loud cuz it's so dumb. It's important to note that each year the grand the Utah Grand Lodge which is kind of like like the overseer lodge of all the other ones, you know? Mm-hmm. In Utah. The Utah Grand Lodge raises funds through its Masonic Foundation and donates money to different colleges and universities, public broadcasting stations, hospitals, medical research facilities, student loans and grants, etc. Nice. Um, so they dedicate a lot of their time and effort towards charity. Now, are these just a bunch of rich guys? Yeah. So my next bullet is, so okay. what is Freemasonry? Okay. <laughs> so now we're going to get into it because okay. you're probably thinking like, okay, this all sounds fine, but like, what, what is it? What is you it? Know, what like, are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the hype, right? Yeah. So here we go. And if okay. you get confused or if you're like, this, this doesn't make sense, please ask questions. Cause I don't, I'd feel bad later if I if am like, that didn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay. So if cool. you're lost. It it makes sense to me. I'm hoping it makes sense to our audience, but I also, my thought processes aren't aren't quite, you know, mainstream. I think if it I think if it makes sense to you, it should make sense to others, right? That's good logic. To <laughs> Most people, yeah, <laughs> yeah, at least like more than half. It's <laughs> yeah. all masking. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, what is Freemasonry?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, on their website https forward slash forward slash Salt Lake City
1: <laughs> you don't Mason to that part.
0: <laughs> okay Salt Lake City Masonic Temple dot uh. com <laughs>
1: uh
0: they say that they're prominent local businessmen who strive to make good men better and support the community okay uh. And I just put this in my notes because I want to reiterate, I don't want to offend anybody because the truth is I don't really understand all of this. So if I (laughs) say something wrong, uh, it's just me being stupid and we can all agree and I'm doing my best. And I hope that everybody can just walk away from the story and say, huh, that was interesting interesting," and move on (laughs) instead of like Uh leaving us a bad review because come on. Don't let me ruin it for everybody. <laughs> so just take this for what it is. All right. but uh, If you know, you can send us an email and we'll correct it. But just oh, like, sure. let us know if we got something a little off. Because yep, yeah, we don't understand most things. But okay, go ahead. Yeah, we're doing our best. Yeah. So here's a summary of what I have figured out Freemasonry is. Okay. All right. Freemasons are the oldest fraternal organization in the world. Hold on. Okay. Freemasonry is a voluntary fraternal organization filled with men who strive to be to be good people with good reputations. Masons are accepting of all religions and don't show favoritism. They believe in a higher power, which they call the almighty creator or the grand architect which makes me think of the Lego movies when they talk about like the master builders, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's just funny. That's what makes me think. Uh All right. Uh, So this grand architect is similar to a deism rather than a personal God, which is taught in Christianity. Okay. Deism is originated during the 17th century enlightenment period, which promoted the idea that the Supreme being is like the ultimate watchmaker. And that this deity created the universe, but doesn't play an active role in the lives of its creations. Mm. Uh, Freemasons also take the term brotherhood to a whole new level, um, even almost a spiritual level. And for most of them, it's about being part of a community. So these guys just look like a happy bunch, don't they? Man, they just look like they love matching. Yeah. Yeah. They love the outfits. The outfits are what does it for them? (laughs) Yeah. They're like, this is custom, so lay off. Man, Uh, this is so official. I never thought it was like that. I thought it would have been just like a bunch of dudes in suits, which it is, but they're like wearing fancy straps. It's very structured. (laughs) It's very like, there's such a system to it that I didn't realize before. Yeah.
1: So. Interesting.
0: The Freemason motto is make better, make men, make better, make men better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. This is hard to read. So quote, better men make a better world. That's what it is. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Not just make make better men. (laughs) (laughs) Make men better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're on work. I, su- I support. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so a lot of their lessons, <laughs> a lot of their lessons focus around biblical stories, especially from King Solomon's era and throughout the middle ages. Um, they meet in lodges where in lodges or temples where they ritual. Virtually reenact a story based on the on the biblical story of a man named Hiram, who King Solomon hired to work on the temple in Ju- Jerusalem. Story goes that the masons guarded the temple in Jerusalem after it was built, as well as kept their knowledge about stonemasonry as a closely guarded secret. Um, during the reenactment, masons advanced by degrees using hand grips, keywords. While wearing special clothing and during these rituals the masons promise to be worthy of trust and to be loyal to their masonic brothers mm. so this is the slide that i wanted you to take a look at do you what's what is the one detail that you notice that is similar with almost all the pictures mm. and this is kind of like the room where they perform their reenactment ritual thing It's stressing me out because I feel like I'm going to say the wrong answer. What? I'm just like the checkered (laughs) carpet. Yes. It is. The checkered board. Like you know how there's like conspiracies about like certain celebrities that are part of the Illuminati and stuff and it's like people try to find the Easter eggs of like oh my gosh they did this with their eye or whatever Uh so that means that they're part of it. Well that but also the checkered board is a huge sign like in like music videos and like their outfits that they wear it's like a symbol of the illuminati really and so to see it when i was doing this slide i'm like what also did i tell you that josh is convinced his mom's a part of the illuminati <laughs> you have told me that yeah he is he is convinced Interesting. and she never denies it which is really? weird she has not once denied it. <laughs> now that's the weird part. I know. She just laughs. And we're just like, so, okay, but really? <laughs> she, like, she's why just, don't you just say it? <laughs> yeah, she never denies it. It freaks me out. <laughs> but I think that's really freaky. And she's not the type to like mess with you, you know? We should have her on and just talk about the Illuminati and be like, so what's your take? Because she's super smart. What's her, what's her, what is she because she's a professor, right? Okay. So Josh's mom is literally the smartest person I've ever known. Well, okay, there's one other person that's smarter than her because I won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but Sandy just knows things. Like you ask a question, it could be like, what is baking powder made of or baking soda made out of? And she'll just name off all these like weird things. Oh my gosh. And, like, she just knows things. And yeah. and she's so smart. And she came from, like, a wealthy family. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Josh is, like... She has to be. Her family's probably in it. If they have money. Well, I mean, I don't know if they do anymore. Because she... So, Josh is, like, you're a part of the Illuminati, but you married down so you don't get all the secrets. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm. Josh's dad is, like, you know, yeah. just a regular dude. But, um... <laughs> yeah so she teaches at BYU um right but she teaches like like study skills and like student skills she doesn't mm. teach like a subject like how to build a resume it's more like how to study and get the most out of it type of thing oh. and how to like su- so be we need that class a, yeah how to be successful as a student <laughs> <laughs> right that oh okay but <laughs> As yeah, it sounds me. like she's laying low she's laying low but she is so smart so she could do so much more what if she's an undercover cia agent it would only make sense to me that's crazy well we'll follow up yeah <laughs> i'll ask her again and if she i'll record her not denying it <laughs> right
1: because that's do it. Weird. we will
0: read her body language Yeah. Like, does she get nervous when she's asked? No, she's, I don't know, I guess she just laughs. I'll tell Josh. (laughs) Is it like a sadistic laugh? (laughs) No. 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 It's just, she just giggles like, oh, you're so funny. But she never says, no, I'm not. (laughs) It's freaking me out. Anyways. Okay, move on. That's suspicious. I know it is. Okay, so the checkered carpet. And you said there was another thing. Yeah, the blue. Notice blue. the blue, furniture. the blue seats. Yeah. And the carpet. Yeah. It's like red, blue and checkerboard. Yeah. Strange, Super ugly. Huh? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, for real. But it's like so it's like a royal blue and like a crimson red. Yeah. With a checkerboard in the middle. Oh, anyway. So Not only do Masons participate in these rituals, but they also meet socially to participate in community-building activities Mm. and do charity work, like I said. So as weird as this all all is, they give back. Yeah. Um, Also, like I said before, Freemasons are the oldest fraternal organization in the world. And historians have found that there are no known Masonic documents before about fourteen hundred. And the oldest records indicate that the organization. Sorry. Yeah, that the organization was mainly just concerned with the trade of stonemasonry. So, Mm -hmm. in the very beginning, it was not even a fraternal thing. It was like just guides building stuff, like Mm -hmm. literally just building structures. Okay. Um, But over time. I I guess I could see where they. Like believe in a higher power being like a master architect is they're just yeah. like that's interesting okay. but they they've made it like such a deep analogy yeah. you know that everything has been created yeah by something yeah interesting so over time history shows that these groups were gradually taken over by men who are not stonemasons at all And these men transformed the organization from a trade guild into a fraternity. Mm. Um, It all began during the Middle Ages in Europe, when a group of skilled builders formed. Uh, There was a decline in the need for cathedral buildings at the time, so their focus shifted towards building a brotherhood. And Mm. while they're not a secret society, they do require secret passwords and handshakes that originate that originate clear back to medieval times. And Freemasons have had secret handshakes, have had several secret handshakes, um, and they are to greet one another with certain handshakes, all based on their ranks within the organization. So you can see like this diagram over here, like depending yeah. on what rank they are, depends on how you shake their hand. Weird. Yeah. And see where it says, meet on the level part on the square? Yeah. That was like a a secret password phrase. Mm-hmm. Or like, it was like just like a secret code that people were supposed to know that meant something else. Which we don't know what so. it means. It's just a thing. I don't. I mean, you could maybe look into it and find out. Like, it might have been uncovered, but <clears throat> it's just an example of how secretive they got in. What a weird Um, thing. In the original guild, there were three stages of Freemasonry. There's the apprentice, the fellow craft, and the master mason. And in that order. When they were actually building buildings, the master masons were the ones overseeing the job site. But now these stages take on a more philosophical role. So as we all probably know... Freemasons have, a, have had a reputation for communicating using rituals and symbols. Mm-hmm. So here are some of those symbols explained. Oh, the So we have That's yes, the, the all-seeing eye. Right. <clears throat> so the all-seeing eye, a.k.a. the Eye of Providence. This symbol wasn't designed by Masons, but it has been used by the group to represent the all-knowing God. Okay. Then we have the square and compass, which is basically a builder's square with a compass. Mm-hmm. Um, and this symbol is the most common and it's displayed on all Masonic jewelry. And it's like everywhere, right? Okay, yeah. Then we have the letter G. And this one is disputed by most, histo- most historians because many believe that it simply just stands for God. Hmm. something that it stands for grand architect of the universe so So it's it's never been interchangeable i guess kind of yeah right but it's never been like solidified on that answer either so that that to me is weird it's like just tell us what it means it's a secret right um then we have the beehive and masons were originally working men who were described to be as busy as bees so, the beehive symbolizes the industriousness of the lodge. Which beehive state?
2: hmm
0: Interesting. So, famous Freemasons are everywhere in history. Uh, Freemasonry became popular in the United States between 1790 and 1826. George Washington was a master mason. Benjamin Franklin was a founding member of the first Masonic lodge in America. And here's just a list of more historical figures who are Freemasons. I did not get everybody on this list, but here's just a few, okay? So Uh we have Franklin D. Roosevelt, Gerald Ford, Harry Truman, Andrew Jackson, Henry Clay, Andrew Garfield, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, Mozart, Davy Crockett, Duke Ellington, Nat King Cole, Henry Ford, Paul Robinson. Nat King Cole, the guy that does the Christmas mm, songs I'm Thank not you. sure who that is that's a that's a musician isn't he professional jazz singer okay what so here are s- historical figures right yeah but then we also have the anti-masons <laughs> 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 um that would be the people that are concerned about the secretiveness and the elusive nature of Freemasonry many Christians warned that Freemasons were the antichrist. Fear towards Masons really began in the 1820s when a New Yorker named William Morgan went missing after being publicly open about his views against Freemasonry. Mm. He told everyone he had information about deep secrets that were being held by the Masons and that he planned to expose them in the book that he was writing. Well, like I was saying. He went missing soon after, and this raised a lot of eyebrows and began the discussion about conspiracies involving the fraternity. Mm, So, is it one of those things where you like keep the secret, or you're exactly right? So, throughout time, anti-Masons have formed societies, published newspapers and books, and for a time, organized a political party. Um, and I guess I didn't put that in my notes, but I guess that happened because there was like the Democrats and the Republicans and Andrew Jackson was going to be like he was running to be president mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, but he's a Freemason. We don't want him to be president. And so the anti Masons formed their own political party to specifically go against Andrew Jackson. Oh, So yeah, and it ended up being the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that called? What is it called when it's not, like, one of the main political parties? It's like the off one. Uh, the term is totally slipping my mind. I can't remember. I don't know. Oh, gosh. What is that term? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's just not that important. So, around the 1930s, it mm-hmm. came to the surface. So, like, people were starting to, like, question them. Be like, what the hell is really going on? Like, why was this person essentially silenced after he was you know whistleblowing about your, you guys having this giant secret you know yeah so around the 1930s it came to the surface that the fraternity had a law or like a rule within the fraternity that they couldn't testify against one another if a crime was committed Ooh. and of course people were not going to let that slide So laws were attempted to be passed, making sure that there would be some kind of penalty for if this were to come up. Right. Yeah. But after a long debate and discussion, um, I didn't find out what the U.S. ended up doing, but at least in the U.K., a law was passed that you you mustn't with you mustn't withhold testimony because of, of an oath that you've made in whatever society that you're a part of. The only exception was for Freemasons, though, so they made it a law that like you have to testify regardless if you made an oath unless you're a Freemason. Then there, so they can keep secrets. Oh wow! Right. So it was. It was said that they are an ancient society and should be allowed to continue as such as long as they agree to release the names of all those who are members of the fraternity whenever they're asked to if if it's needed for an investigation. So they just the only thing they have to reveal is names, but no they don't else. have to testify. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? I don't know crazy. how it is in the US, but that's how it is in the UK. Hmm. So yeah. In fact, when it comes to anti-Masons, Adolf Hitler was an anti-Mason. And he made it a point to locate and capture Freemasons and hold them as political prisoners. Wow. Sadly, these Masons were taken into concentration camps just like the Jews were. And they had an upside down red triangle sewn into their prison clothing. And it's estimated that somewhere around 200,000 Freemasons were killed in concentration camps. Wow.
1: Crazy, right? That is
0: crazy. Crazy. And I, I read that it was because um, Hitler thought that they were, like, going against his campaign or whatever Oh, yeah. It was. Anyone like, that didn't follow his stuff was subject to Oh, yeah. To if you him. disagreed with him, then you were of the devil. So, conspiracy theories about Freemasons began to flourish almost as much as membership was. Hmm. Um, there's a theory that the master creator is actually Lucifer and that Freemasons are devil worshipers. What? In this theory, it's believed that because Freemasons are in cahoots with Lucifer, that they will use him to get to get their way whenever necessary. But um, this theory gained traction because originally Freemasons were directly tied with the Catholic Church. Then at some point they broke off broke off from the church and they said it was because they wanted to be independent and didn't want to be anchored to one religion but some speculate that it could be because they actually sold their soul or sold their society to the devil or that lucifer had been their grand architect all along and the catholic church denounced it and then cut their ties with them because they didn't want to be exclusively with one religion and wanted to be accepting to, of all religions. And, of course, they're of mm-hmm. the devil. Oh,
1: my goodness. Right? Yeah, <sighs> exactly. Stupid.
0: Okay. So, believers of this theory think that they are hiding their devil worshiping in plain sight. Um, there is a book written in 1923 called The Lost Keys of Freemasonry. The Secret of Hiram a Beef, written by Manly P. Hall. And this book became really important because he, kind of like the whistleblower from like the 18, whatever it was, he released information about what's going on within these rituals. He was like, this is what's, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. So um, Hall was a Freemason and was awarded a rank to the 33rd degree. Not exactly sure what that means, but it sounds like he was up there. Okay, yeah, that's a big number. in Hall's. Yeah, right. In Hall's book, he says that once a Freemason was able to have total control of his mind and emotions, then he would then have the ability to use the power and energy of Lucifer. And some would say that power that that power that he was talking about would include the knowledge or the power of knowledge and lucifer's power is knowing the unknown so they believed that if you were able to control your um, mind and emotions then you would be able to know the unknown if that makes sense interesting so when people read (laughs) what hall wrote they questioned the fraternity and they responded saying and the fraternity responded saying that Something along the lines of what he meant was that you'll have the ability to fight the powers of Lucifer, not that you would have the powers of Lucifer. Oh. So, who's to say? You know, Hall came out and said, "No, this is what's going on." And then the Freemasons came back and said, mm, "Actually, this is what he meant." So it's like, who are you? Like who? Who are you supposed yeah. to believe? I mean, you know? Yeah. In Hall's Please. book, he also explains the secret of Hiram Abiff. Hiram Abif, which is this dude in the red in this picture, Mm -hmm. um, he was a stonemason in ancient Jerusalem, which I kind of mentioned him before. Mm -hmm. He was the one ordered by King Solomon to build the temple in Jerusalem. They were nearly done with construction when Abif was attacked by three men. The men wanted information about the king and wanted to know if the temple had any secret passageways. Abif denied there being secret passageways and didn't give any information about the king. Uh, didn't give any information about the king, even though he was being tortured the whole time. Yeah. Abif's body was found the next day in a shallow grave and his head was smashed in. Ooh. The men were caught and eventually sentenced to death. So this story is told to masons when they become master masons and to be clear it's a fictional story and it's only used as a parable okay it's to give an example to let the masons know and to let the masons know that keeping the secrets of the freemasons of the freemasons is imperative even if that means losing their life wow the master masons <clears throat> are told and according to hall's book that if they are in the same situation they must do the same wow isn't that's that insane? crazy that's an expectation that is a very heavy right <laughs> that's creepy as fuck that yeah i'm glad you like my picture choices that i found yeah i, <laughs> I like very the slideshow i want i'm curious how people like to listen to it back and not see it like i wonder how it'll be right that's what you i'm wondering too that's what i'm wondering too but i do like the slideshow because it's i feel like you're right this needed it because otherwise it'd be hard to explain i feel like you would just be like listening without retaining or like without following you would be like listening like you're not ignoring what i'm saying but like i don't think you would you would have totally caught my drift yeah yeah i agree um okay so (laughs) another theory Is that only aliens or lizard people end up being master masons and that they have been sent to Earth to become leaders that will gradually and secretly alter how we live our lives, which will somehow benefit their master. Honestly, what is it with the lizard people? Like, what? Why? Why is that even a thing? There's a lot of people who believe that. I mean if you right. believe like, that have then seen, fine but it's weird i keep referring i keep referring to tiktok but have you seen the tiktok of beyonce where she's like doing this thing no and like all of a sudden her eyes look like they go like and people are like oh my gosh she's shape-shifting before our eyes and it's like oh no. that's just that's just her makeup being weird and like the light catching it funny oh she's not cool. shape-shifting yeah she- so shape-shifting. anyway <laughs> there's all uh, kinds of crazy stuff out there um so funny Sorry if you're a believer and I'm calling you crazy, but listen, I just it's far fetched for my <coughs> brain to even try to understand it. So maybe you're just smarter than me. I'm just saying I don't, I can't understand it. But it's just, it's, it's just so imaginative <laughs> that I just can't, I just can't understand it. <clears throat> yeah. Just a sec. Oh, that's kind of nice. All right. This theory is intertwined with the reptilian theories that you've probably already heard of. Um, some theories believe that the majority of people in power are reptilian shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. And an author and conspiracy theorist named David Icke, or Ike? It might just be Ike. David Icke. Is I c k e. Yeah, I guess Ike. I think it's like, um, but he wrote a book in 1999 called "The Biggest Secret," and he claimed that some people don't even know that they're reptilian shapeshifters because they are just a host for an alien creature to take over them. But if you want to know if you are a host, then you have to look at your eyes, and if your pupils are large. And the white, like where it's supposed to be white, if that part is mostly red, then that is the tail tail sign.
1: Or but you're you know what tired. that says to me,
0: or you're high, <laughs> right? You <know? laughs> like, and then you can probably that's... really believe that you're a exactly Either way, being tired <clears throat> or high, you just be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> <clears throat> keep yeah that's kind water. of a fun fact oh that's funny uh the most common conspiracy theory is that freemasons secretly control everything yeah this theory gets attention because of how many powerful people in history have become masons and with this theory many think that they are so charitable to help mask the actual shadiness that's actually going on behind the scenes Mm. so they're like doing all this good stuff like in the public's eye but then like doing all this like secret whatever it is that they're doing and it's like could they i don't know maybe we. i mean maybe it's important to mention this guy and he is the main character of another parable within freemasonry um so this parable behind some is behind some of the Freemason rituals. And this is what makes some people feel uncomfortable about Freemasonry and like what their intention intentions really are. Um, like if they have secret intentions, just based off of the fact that they like almost worship this parable. Okay. So here's the story. Um, and this is detailed in Hall's book. Um So he mentions a Freemason who's a forefather and who Masons strive to follow. They want to follow in his footsteps and be just like him. And that's Tubal Cain. You ever heard of him? No. I mean, Cain sounds familiar, but that's just from a biblical story. Right. So Tubal Cain is known to be the last descendant of Cain from... Adam and Eve. Okay. So the son of Adam and Eve, that Cain. He's mm-hmm. known to be the last descendant of him. Okay. Um, so if you remember, after Cain murdered his brother Abel, God cursed Cain to wander the earth for the rest of his life, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. To Baal is said to be the last known descendant, like I said and he was the inventor of the famous Masonic edge tools that appear in many of the Masonic symbols. Hmm. Also, Tubal is known <clears throat> to be the first ever blacksmith like, huh. ever known to existence. Wow. Um, so in Freemasonry, Tub- Tubal Cain is thought of so highly that for a long time, his name was the secret password for Master Masons to enter into their special secret ceremonies. Um, He's viewed to them, he's viewed, they view him as (laughs) (laughs) the ancient father of masonry. Okay. Um, This might sound fine and dandy to most conspiracy theorists, um, but... Or oh, sorry, this might, sa- this might sound fine and dandy, but to most conspiracy theorists, they look up to him, like, them looking up to him is, like, shady because he's a descendant of the first ever known murderer in existence, if that makes sense. So they're just like, why do you look up to someone who, like, like came from someone who's cursed, you know? Well, but, but it's like, he... that's unfair to say. Like, he didn't kill anybody. Right, it's like he's not his dad. Well, it's like saying grandpa. You can take this out, but it's like saying, "Oh, every white person that exists now is evil because their ancestors had slaves and right. enslaved people." It's like that—that's unfair to say. I mm-hmm. agree with that because it's like it <clears throat> doesn't mean anything. Like he yeah. invented blacksmithing. Yeah. <laughs> like that whole concept, like he figured that out and, and he designed Freemasons the Freemason are... tools. Yeah, and they're all about architecture and stuff. So and making the world fetched. a better place. Yeah. Yeah, that's freaking right. weird. Okay. Freaking conspiracy so, theorists and <sighs> right. I know, like, a lot of this stuff is so unfair. It's like, you you can't say that. Let's just find a problem with everything. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, It's acknowledged by some historians that all this attention towards the secretiveness only seemed to make people want to join themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it flourished in the United States, and Masonic lodges were popping up almost in all major cities. So... We're going to move on to a fun topic, which <laughs> Masons and Mormons. Mormons trigger and masons, Trigger warning. Yeah, this, this is your secondary trigger warning that if you made it this far, congratulations. Um, here's a pit stop <laughs> where <laughs> if you don't want to listen to us talk about our opinions on Mormonism, just skip ahead to the end of this story where I talk about the ghosts Um, but I thought that this would be really interesting to discuss and talk about because like paranormal is yeah ghosts and and things but like it's also fun to talk about the conspiracy theories you know and like the what ifs and like Mm. you wonder about about what actually happened it's just wondering it's yeah exactly like wanting to know about the unknown yes so, I think it falls under the umbrella, but also, I think so. if you're going to be upset, just save yourself now. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Okay, I'm all about it. So we're Let's, talking about we Masons and Mormons. Okay, here we go. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Mormonism was founded in the 1830s by Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith's father, Joseph Smith Sr., was also a Freemason and joined a lodge when they moved to Palmyra, New York in 1816. Shortly after they moved there, Joseph's, Joseph, gosh, Joseph's older brother Hiram also joined. And of course, they brought home the stories they learned from the lodge about the Masonic legends and the parables and things. Mm-hmm. One legend in particular was the story of a lost sacred word that was engraved upon a triangular plate made out of pure gold. The word engraved on the plate was the name of God. Does that sound familiar? Mm, yep. I just love this picture for this story because it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like... You see the similarities and like, how like... Interesting. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> About 12 years after Joseph Smith Smith founded Mormonism, he became a Freemason himself. He joined the fraternity in March of 1842 in Nauvoo, Illinois. In fact, the first five LDS prophets were Freemasons. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, and Lorenzo Snow were all members of the fraternity and they all joined while they were living in Nauvoo. So, I'm not exactly sure why Joseph decided to join this fraternity that was so like deeply rooted mm-hmm. in these things when he was the founder of what he said was the true church of God. Right. So what does he need Freemasonry for? Exactly. That's what I that's exactly what I was sitting here wondering like think about how busy he made himself, you know, like (laughs) why would you join a fraternity only to have like some kind of ulterior motive? Right. Yeah. That's what I think. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So it's been said that when Joseph was observing the fraternal ceremonies, he would think about how he would prepare his followers for the afterlife and how to explain to them he, what he had learned over time from the angels that were supposedly visiting him. And how he was able to translate ancient records and all that kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's sitting here watching these reenactments thinking like, how am I going to explain all this stuff to everybody? So it's believed that Joseph Smith had a couple of friends and a few family members that were already members and had been for decades. And interestingly enough, after Joseph Smith became a Mason, he introduced what's called the Temple Endowment to his followers. Mm. So what does this look like? Yeah, so that's when he, just shortly after that, that's when he introduced the endowment, which looks very similar to uh, what the Freemasons had going on. So you can see, like, I have pictures up in the top left-hand corner of different endowment rooms i think they're called in different temples so you can mm-hmm. see like on the walls there's murals of different scenes yeah. that are like peaceful looking um and then somewhere towards either the center of the room or the front of the room they have this altar type and by the way i tried to pick pick photos that wouldn't be offensive so if any of this offends somebody that's looking at it i'm sorry i really did try to make it just informative not offensive. Right so there's that. Um, but then down in the bottom left corner I have pictures of where you can see like it looks like people and then somebody dressed in all black right yeah Apparently, I don't know if they'd still do this or if this is like modern I don't like I don't know how much they still do, but back in the olden days back when it was first introduced, um, somebody would dress up as the devil during the endowment. And, like, they would reenact some kind of thing to warn people not to be tricked by the devil. Or some weird along those lines. Um, Then you can see, like, on the right side of the page, there's a secret handshakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And do you remember any of these? Like, do those look familiar to you? Because I remember the young men talking about some of these. I remember... Yeah, I do remember talking to the young men about some of these, but then I don't think they were technically supposed to know. No, but see how like see how they're doing this, like the pinch yeah. with two fingers on the other person's hand. Yeah, I read that that's supposed to signify piercing through the hand, like when yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I remember was... someone telling me that, but it was like, yeah, like that's what rang the bell. I'm like, oh yeah yeah like someone deep in my brain yeah but it was like in a casual setting like it wasn't yeah yeah. like any any ceremony or anything yeah um then you can see in the bottom right there is just like pictures of the olden days um the apron you can see that they have an apron that they wear during this ceremony yeah because freemasons had those aprons we were talking about earlier right interesting similarities huh -hmm. so uh, let me just explain what a temple endowment is so in mormonism a temple endowment is essentially a ceremony performed within the temple that lets the participant know if they will be a king queen priest or priestess in the afterlife during this endowment they're also making a promise with god to like obey so that they will then Yeah. yeah covenant so that they can become like have the best afterlife that they are can possibly get. And this is the, to the best of my knowledge, because like even though I used to be a Mormon, I never went through the temple like that. So No, we never went and did endowments. So we don't have first hand knowledge of the endowment process. Right. And then when they talked about it, I barely listened. Well, <laughs> so. but they did they didn't say what happened in That's true. In the temple, they just kind of explain what an endowment is, but they don't explain. It's top secret. You can't know what the handshakes are. You can't know what this and and that means. You can't know what, like, yeah, because you're just not supposed. You can't know. And then if you do go through the temple to get endowments, you're not supposed to tell. So it is a lot like Freemasonry, where it's very secretive. Mm Hmm. Yeah um yeah so after joseph smith's membership the relationship between mormonism and freemasonry really started like that's when it flourished for sure and he introduced new ceremonies and symbols within his religion shortly after he became a freemason so it's pretty clear that he was inspired by what he learned while being a freemason and then applied it. So even today, the LDS Church and Freemasons use several of the same symbols. So for example, we have the all-seeing eye. Mm-hmm. And that's on the temple. Most of these are, I think, all of these are on the temple, actually. The Salt Lake Temple. Okay. Um, So we have the all-seeing eye. We have Joseph Smith. So... All-seeing eyes. So Joseph Smith used this symbol when writing in the Book of Mormon. A specific example um, was in Second Nephi chapter nine, verse forty-four. He said, or he wrote, "I pray the God of my salvation that He view me with His all-searching eye." Oh my gosh! <clears throat> um, then we have the symbol of the shaking cans, and according to LDS Temple Endowment blogs, Dot com the handshake symbol aka the hand clasp symbol signifies the covenants made within the temple and the handshake is between you and God. Hmm. And that's also in Freemasonry, um, which I don't, I don't think I covered it before, but you can look it up. Um, also the term holiness unto the Lord or holiness to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, a specific example of one that's used, not just it being on the doorknob, but also in the Book of Mormon, DNC 2069 says, Walking in the holiness before the Lord. But it's also like on the <coughs> building. Like it's not just on this, like, hand or this knob. It's like engraved on the building. Yeah. There's like a, like a plaque type yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, like you said, it's engraved. Mm hmm um also you'll see like sun moon and stars around the temple the lds temple and the masonic temple um in mormonism the three symbols represent the three degrees of glory the celestial kingdoms or sorry the three celestial kingdoms so the sun represents the celestial kingdom the moon represents the terrestrial kingdom and the star represents the telestial kingdom And the phases of the moon in Mormonism represent birth to resurrection. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we also have the honeybees and the hives. So the picture I found was like the little like banister ends. They're little beehives. I was like, that's so cute. I didn't ever (laughs) notice that before. (laughs) And Um, then the beehive on the knob, that's the holiness of the Lord too. Yes, that's right. So it's a very common and popular symbol within Mormonism. And for a long time, it was on the Utah state flag, which that was actually recently changed, like just a couple months ago. Yeah, I believe I mentioned this also in episode four, I think it was, that Brigham Young used the symbol a lot as an analogy of the working bees Um you know, in lectures to his followers, he was like industriousness and we work hard and we work together. Everybody counts, you know? Mm -hmm. So he's a big advocate for that symbol. So um, according to the LDS church's website, Mormons who lived in Nauvoo at the time and who also experienced both Masonic rites and the temple endowment acknowledged similarities between some elements of the two ceremonies But they also testified that the endowment was governed by the principle of revelation Uh and that Joseph Smith and his associates understood masonry as the institution that teaches ancient truth and that these rituals have been divinely restored and that the endowment did not simply imitate the rituals of Freemasonry. Rather, Joseph Smith's encounter with masonry evidently served as a catalyst for revelation oh it was just such a big cop out it's just like you're just saying that he like copied he, co- he copied <laughs> what he saw the masons doing a catalyst and said, for revelation and it said and then said oh well they almost have it right but, but yeah we have it more right
1: so right. he tweaked
0: it enough so it's different enough mm-hmm. but it's exactly the same <laughs> right but he just modified it to make it his own that's really Mm -hmm. all he did yeah he just took it copied and pasted and then he like edited yeah (laughs) you know and then he's like plagiarism (laughs) like this is the same like they're similar but i am the prophet of god so i know better and this is the better way and the right way to use these things and it's like sorry, sir, but you really just took (laughs) I think he saw and heard things from his dad or going to those meetings and whatever and he saw the power that these masonry guys had and the community that these masonry guys have and he's only 14 and he probably can't join the Freemasons until how would he
1: know about those legends and stories?
0: Right. So he, this gold plate thing that was this wasn't there a triangle with a gold on a gold Mm -hmm. like a gold plate triangle? Yeah, so he made the story up even from the beginning, yeah. Like, that's what I mean. Where it's like you're just looking at both stories. That's why this picture just cracks me up, yeah, reading all that because it's like you see what he's doing, like, he literally. Plagiarized from the beginning. How do people not see it? I don't know. So sad. Yuck. Okay. Okay. So it's easy to compare some of the similarities between Masonic ceremonies and the Temple Endowment, but to be fair, there are also differences, and the differences that you that you would find are found within the context and the intention of the ceremony Mm. but pretty much everything else is the same (laughs) like (laughs) the reenactment the clothing the secrecy the the symbols the handshakes like it's all the same except the biggest differences are the context and the intention so for example masonic ceremonies are typically centered around self-improvement brotherhood community etc and it's all in the name of making the world a better place. Uh-huh. Um, a temple endowment is someone making a promise with God to be the best that they can be so that they can become the best version of the. Excuse me. Burping. <sighs> sorry. <laughs> Let me start that over. A temple endowment is someone making a promise with God to be the best they can be. <clears throat> so that they can become the best version of themselves after they have already gone to heaven. So it's more like their own personal journey to make their own afterlife better, where with Freemasons, it's like a personal journey to make things better for everyone, you know? So Mormonism is selfish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And as far as their differences in context go... Freemason rituals involve a dramatization of some sort of special clothing uh, with some sort of special clothing and props to reenact scenes from Masonic legends. And in Mormonism, they're also doing some sort of dramatization with special clothing and props. But instead, they're reenacting the revelations and translations given to Joseph Smith. Which yeah. are fake so he fake. so he didn't even get creative he was just like I'm gonna tell them what happened by having them reenact what happened like I want to watch them understand <laughs> you know what I mean like it's just so stupid <sighs> it's so yeah. stupid it's honestly so stupid. this makes me want to just like can you bring this PowerPoint to end the next <laughs> like and then just say i have questions (laughs) listen let's talk about temple endowments and freemasonry for just a sec for just a sec just so this will be fun (laughs) just so you can clarify for me you teach me what this is all about and just yeah these are the things you explain this to me and then when they're done explaining it you say okay now let me explain it to you (laughs) and give you my references yeah (laughs) From BYU, like yeah, from the church, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm on team Freemasons when it comes to like who would you rather party with? Same um, though, same. So, another difference is that Freemasons exclude women from becoming Masons, mm. and Mormons allow women to receive temple endowments, so but they don't allow, allow them to have the priesthood, right. So I guess there is a similarity there where it's like they're not totally equal though. They're they're not equal. Yeah. They like to say, Oh, women have the best power of all is to create life. But it's like, okay, but you're excluding the women who literally are unable to create life. Yeah. Like that's not our only superpower. Mm -hmm. So the LDS church has clarified somewhat recently that it, its members are still allowed to join Freemasonry. And fun fact, there's actually a lot of Mormon Masons, but it's not clear of how many. Like, they don't just keep tabs on that. On okay. rel- I'm, You know, like, they don't, like, keep demographics of everybody because they don't really care about what people's religions are. It's just, like, a lot of people who are Mormon have come forward and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Freemason as well. So hmm. Um, So it kind of seems to go hand in hand. So lastly, let's talk about the paranormal. Um, I'll mention that again. I gathered a lot of information from the Utah Haunted History Facebook page. A few people who commented on my post said that there are Masons who have been to the Salt Lake Masonic Temple and said that the building just has an odd vibe to it and said that certain rooms are more eerie than other rooms for some reason. Specifically in the ballroom and a side room that's near the library. Interesting. Um, People said that while you're there, you can't help but feel like someone is watching you closely. And someone on Facebook who commented uh, said that they've seen a photo from inside the temple and the picture appeared to have an orb in it. Nice. Nice. Um, A commenter named Julie B. said she was on a Salt Lake City history and ghost tour about 10 years ago, and she said that when she stepped off the bus and looked toward the Masonic temple, she saw the silhouette of someone standing in the front doorway. She said it was strange because the silhouette was more of an outline of a person, and she said that the silhouette was lighter on the inside and darker on the outside. That's different. Isn't it? Like so specific, like why? But it's like, they do talk about how it's like all about light, you know? So I wonder if it has something to do with that, where it's like,
1: Yeah.
0: oh, that's so weird. Because usually a silhouette right. is the body shape is black or dark color. And then the like there's no light around it really. It's just a shadowy figure. Right. So people have said that the doors will open and shut on their own. Yeah. And sometimes it seems random, but sometimes it seems like it's opening or closing for you. Uh, the doors will also lock and unlock on their own. Hell no. Yeah, I don't like that because that's like captivating. Yeah. Or freeing, depending on, on what the is happening. side of the door you're on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, what if you go to bed? And you wake up because you're like, oh, man, I'm really thirsty and need some water. You get up, walk your butt to the kitchen, and you notice that the back door is unlocked. What do you do? Shit your pants immediately. Run so fast. Run where? (laughs) Out the front door. (laughs) Anyway. uh, (laughs) I don't know. That's so scary. (sighs) So interior and exterior lights of the building are known to flicker on and off on their own. Some what if people it's have just planes? a very old building, so the electrical is bad. <laughs> That's what I wondered, too. I'm like, I mean, how old are the light bulbs? Because I mean, you saw how tall those ceilings are, or even just the wires inside the building, like might yeah, not that. be up to code. Right. That one is a little bit sus. Yeah. Um. Some people have <laughs> cool and it. <laughs> right luke has me saying that word so much like he'll say that's sus like if he sees like a mushroom on his pizza or something <laughs> and so like now i i'm saying it whenever i'm just like hmm i know it, i've i've started saying it too and then i feel like um, i'm way too old to say that yeah it makes me feel like when dad was like hey are you guys listening to your yo-yo, yo-yo music, music? <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh, yeah Anyway, that's embarrassing. So know. uh where am I? We're that age um, now where like we try to say the lingo and then our kids are like, Oh mom. Well,
1: yeah, we're stop. gonna be
0: those moms at field trips where all the kids are just like, dude, I was in your mom's group and she was like trying to be cool but totally didn't. You're at the freaking dinosaur museum and you're like, Doesn't this dinosaur slap? <laughs> like that's yeah. slaps <laughs> that's totally cap yo yeah that's capping yeah. <laughs> yeah we know what's cool <laughs> we know we're on we're on the same page yeah <laughs> okay so i don't um, know if i said this or not because i think i've started this sentence a couple times but people oh, have claimed to see furniture moving by itself see that's scary like i furniture it's like the doors locking because i feel like wind and like settling houses can open and close doors or creak them or whatever but the locking of the doors and the moving of furniture furniture is heavy sometimes you know right and winds. Like, i don't even want to do, do that. that breezes through homes cannot move furniture Mm-mm. so there's just no explanation There's literally,
1: literally
0: none. Um, Some have heard disembodied voices coming from inside the temple. Someone who commented on my post on Facebook said that a voice that they had heard seemed like it was trying to lead them to a certain area of the building. Which I think is so creepy. But where? Uh, They didn't say. Oh, but like... (sighs) Like it's the intention. Like it's yeah, it's freaky. Yeah. So it's like, where would they have ended up? The bathroom, or the ballroom, the theater, or that it's weird like, clue. side room? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the den. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there is a ghost who is known to wander the halls of the temple, and his name is Charlie. Mm. A long time ago, not sure long, not sure how long ago. Um, While someone was cleaning out an old storage room, they found an urn with the ashes of Charles Valentine. Charles was a mason, but no one knows why the ashes were there and why they were never claimed or buried. Many believe Charlie's spirit is the one haunting the building. Mm. And a character... a caretaker tear-kaker. of the building a, <laughs> <laughs> a caretaker of the building so that one time she saw the apparition of a young girl at the end of a long hallway and saw small footprints in the sand of the ashtrays
1: why was or the smoking? kid walking through the ashes i don't know it's weird
0: also are children allowed in there uh i mean there's like youth programs and stuff but i don't know i don't know much yeah i don't know i don't don't know anything actually (laughs) i am not claiming (laughs) or
1: denying any knowledge
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah the end (laughs) that's the end of my story dang that is fascinating it's a long one huh yeah i could totally see that freaking red room being haunted as shit yeah it looks scary it does like why red why red bright red carpet like blood red carpet right it's like what stains are you hiding (laughs) (laughs) convenient (laughs) i'd say so yeah Um, wow uh i learned a lot did you I did. I did. I did not know that there were five LDS prophets that were Freemasons. I thought it was just Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Nope, the whole clan. I have Arya. Awake. Oh wait. Well, I'll be we won't talk. A minute, okay, you can just have her sit with you. Well, we won't talk about anything scary. We'll do our outro. Okay. Do I sit on my lap for a minute? Well anyway oh. this is Arya. <laughs> hi oh she can't hear me you want say hi no no all right all right well, let's, let's do well. our outro thanks for listening to episode 36 um mm-hmm. it's been quite an enlightening and awful episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah Honestly, like this one was not made for everyone. No. Uh, I feel like you're either going to get people saying like you shouldn't cover those stories or say like you've offended me so bad that I will never listen to you again. So, right. Those are the uh, those are the things we're going away with. And maybe this is the last. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> Well, um, as always, make sure to follow us on social media at Haunt and Cold Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you like us enough, you can join our Patreon and receive a gift package in the mail, as Ooh. well as gain access to exclusive content, such as On Deck at desk episodes. And this last one that April just did, um, she covered the ser- serial killer Robert Picton, who is from Canada and goes by Willie. Um, it's the worst story ever it's so bad it's but so don't bad. listen to it it's it's so <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> yeah uh remember if you have your own personal paranormal or true crime stories we want to hear it so go to our website at uh haunted and submit your story and that way we can share it on the air on air with hunting or cool. on the okay. ground Yeah, why do they say on there? Well, I guess... On the airwaves? Yeah. Literally, how freaking sound Mm -hmm. travels through internet makes sense to me at all. But, like, it's just in the air right now that we can, like, wave our arms around through sound. And how does it, like, if I go like this, how does it not change the sound that's coming to you? But it kind (laughs) of does if you do it in front of your mouth really fast like this. Well, internet just makes no sense to me. Yeah, internet doesn't make sense. Phone oh yeah, I make no that. sense to me. How right? you can see a picture of me right now makes no sense to me. Yeah, how phones work, I don't understand. How life works makes no sense to me. <laughs> Friggin' existential crisis beginning now. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I feel like both of our brains are like done because it's <laughs> almost midnight. I know, I'm so And tired. Oh, we you, both you- just had some really exhausting stories i know this is a big one it's either gonna be what makes or breaks us <laughs> i'm just kidding it's it's right. fine it's fine we'll it's survive fine. it it'll be fine um yeah okay well mm. Mm, okay, okay bye, bye.